least variants of interest, if not variants of concern. So how do you accelerate the clinical trial process? Um, and at some point, my projection is we're going to end up at a strategy of give it to enough people to prove that there isn't a common side effect that wasn't recognized with earlier vaccines. Don't worry about efficacy because you know these things work. And if you really better target the current variants, the chances that it won't be effective are slim to none. Whereas the bigger concern is if we target new uh, sites on the proteins of the new variants, does that cross-react with some human proteins that would cause a common a significant side effect that would be common? So I think what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to skinny down and, and accelerate the clinical trials to look at safety while not waiting the many months it takes to look for efficacy. And so uh, and and so there's two disadvantages of that versus the usual model. The the first disadvantage is that you might miss something because you're using a shorter window of time. Um, and the second disadvantage is that it could conceivably um, have long-term uh, consequences from the uh, like like the long haul syndrome of the virus itself you don't get long haul from the vaccine but could there be a couple of antigens in an updated vaccine that might do something like long haul and i'm not saying that there's reason to believe there is there isn't but um that's the kind of hypothetical that you'd be risking when you accelerate that cycle time to keep up with the viruses so as long as these variants of, uh, that are highly contagious keep emerging, we're, we're really in this race that challenges the whole mechanism of proof of safety and efficacy that the FDA has pioneered and became the leader in, in this very difficult balance between how quickly do you prove to bring better solutions to market and save lives versus the risk of being uh, you know, having a tragic side effect that wasn't detected because of the accelerated cycle time and then getting reamed by the public and in the case of the FDA, reamed by Congress for going too fast. So there, there will be people in Congress saying, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And if there's a problem, those same people will say, you see, you went too fast. I told you so. And not that we've seen that kind of uh, flip-flopping uh, in Congress, but that's what would happen. And the FDA is, of course, aware of that. Um, a phenomenon. Okay, we got to move on. We have we haven't done the top headline yet. Thank you for all of that, John. The Thank you, John. Yep. The first biggest story of today, Friday, September 3rd is Apple's delay rollout of their child scanning image detection feature saying it will take additional time to refine the feature before launching it to the public. Although they did reveal that they it's been active since 2019 in your uh, mail. <laughs> if you sync your mail account to Apple, which a lot of people do, to the cloud, then they've been already scanning your mail for such images. Last month, Apple announced a handful of new child safety features that proved to be controversial, including CSAM detection features for iCloud and photos. And boy, did they get a whole lot of backlash about that. And they've got a huge event coming up in just a few days time and this is one way to put that issue to bed before that big event 
because <laughs> they were not looking forward to that event with this uh, issue still pending. So, um, not a whole lot of people tweeting about it, but uh, that's 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 all the headlines. Apple delays controversial plan to scan iPhones for child exploitation images. Apple delays release of child abuse scanning tech after backlash. And and we have to imagine that the backlash played a significant role in them um, put hitting the pause button on this, and which is interesting. Just, just, yeah. Just quickly on this, I'm I'm sure you've had massive conversations with the likes of Chris and Charles and whatnot, and deep dived into this. Um, so I'm sure you've covered all the topics, but I haven't heard any of them. One thing that's just really surprised me about this is that. The, the, what they're actually doing is is pretty standard in a lot of cloud storage. Like Google almost certainly does this. Dropbox almost certainly does this. They're just not talking about how they're doing it or why they're doing it. Um, as the, you know, Microsoft, for instance, scanning every email that comes in, for instance, in their Exchange servers. Um, and Apple admitting that they've been doing it with, with the emails, for instance, that have been coming in for years. This is a, a very standardized thing that's been around for a while. What actually worries me about this is that Apple has kind of gone, okay, this is quite incendiary. This is, you know, a little bit worrying, especially in the world at the moment about privacy. We're going to be completely open about this as much as, uh, I mean, it seems to me as they're being very open about this, but where it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. Oh, by the way, we're going to do it on the device. This is, you know, these are going to be the trigger points, that kind of thing. This is how it kind of works. And they've earned no points for this. And I'm not advocating for Apple at all. Um, they, you know, we all know that the, the things that they do, which could be done better, along with every other large um, sort of um, um, mega company in the world. Um, but they've, they've kind of they've done the thing that not many other people have done. It's like, hey, we're doing this thing. It's really controversial. This is how we're going to do it. They've been relatively transparent about it. And the world has kind of shown them that you don't get any bonus points for that. They've just been hammered by it. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for or against the concept. It's just the whole thing of them being quite transparent about this and getting hammered for it from every single direction pretty much unilaterally is a little bit worrying going forward with what information we're going to get about how our devices and operating systems and cloud services are run and what's happening under the hood. You have a very good point, Carl, because Amazon today, the headline from The Verge is Amazon is planning more aggressive moderation of its hosting platform. The company will actively seek out prohibited content on AWS. Amazon's planning to expand its in-house moderation team for AWS, according to Reuters, citing two sources. The report says Amazon's planning to develop proactive threat monitoring capability within AWS, which will seek out prohibited content on AWS servers and remove it before it's reported by users. Reached for comment, Amazon did not con- confirm or deny the accuracy of the report, but said it does not plan to pre review content before it's posted to the platform <laughs> like a scan like scan my computer <laughs> how the fuck would you do that exactly how would you pre-review the content before it's posted on aws so thank god you're not it's going to be on the device yeah yeah thank, thank thank you for not doing that amazon thank you for not putting a fucking virus on my computer and scanning my shit before i upload it to you uh, as AWS continues to expand, this team, like most teams in AWS, will continue to grow and represent. Uh, and then the question is, what kind of content would be um, prohib- prohibitive? Because it's there's basically videos, audio, images, and you don't really have, I mean, you, you have text files, but 
how often are text files kind of the problem? It's not really. It's more the images and the videos. So essentially, they'll be scanning the images and videos, I, I assume, based on how this is being set up here. So it's what's interesting is, is you now have Apple and Amazon both simultaneously. Oh, right here. The move comes on the heels of similar shift from Apple, which recently announced a controversial system to proactively scan for child abuse imagery in iCloud photos, which is their small, ver their cloud, which is iCloud, which is actually run by Google Cloud, by the way, in case you didn't know that. And it that's just it's just sort of interesting that you have Apple and Amazon now both simultaneously scanning for content of this nature. Both you do are we to believe that they for the past, you know, fifteen years had no interest in this and then they both decided to do it on the same fucking day? Or is this being uh, I, I I mean like somebody I can't remember who it was um saying before about Apple. It's like, oh you know, Apple doesn't Apple doesn't do any of these AI things and the advertising things and that kind of thing. I excuse my dog in the background on the wooden floor. Um they, they do do it, they just haven't been very good at it. And now they're having to get very good at it because they've seen what has happened with social media. They've seen the fact that the world is no longer accepting, that Facebook isn't responsible for the content on their platform and that Twitter isn't responsible for the content on their platform. And then once as they're getting sorted, you know, people are looking elsewhere. It's like, okay, where else are we? As, as, as you are creating a device that has the social aspect baked in more and more. I mean, we've all, you know, we've talked about and seen the changes that are coming soon to iMessage, for instance. Um, and we've talked about Apple, you know, business, me and you, Tyler, it wasn't very successful, so unsuccessful that I didn't even know it was a thing. But as those get more and more baked into the device, um, then people aren't going to be going to a lot of these social networks and they can do all the sharing that they need to and the file sharing and the interconnectivity for either benign reasons or, or you know, um, you know, less benign reasons uh, we're talking about here. Um, like they, they need to step up as well. So I think they're getting ahead of the game. They're trying to figure out, okay, you know, what are we, what are we going to be hit with? Um, because they can see what's happening with all of these, you know, these massive, massive companies are just being bent over a bar stool, basically, by governments around the world and told, look, you, you, there's no more excuses. You've got to sort this out, irrelevant of how hard it is. This is that's my suspicion, is that the, co the coincidence of both Apple and Amazon doing this at the same time when they've never had shown a hint of any interest. Amazon's not really shown much interest in this historically. So it, I, I'm... I'm a I'm I'm leaning to think that there this is was they were um it was su a government suggestion is is my suspicion in this. Yeah, we'll see. So this ties in with um you know the emerging technology and what possibly will be on apps later because we don't really know how we're going to be maneuvering with VR and AR so I feel like this is more of a social equity move in part to actually embrace the new way of thinking from the younger generation as well yeah oh on on the previous topic of covid i forgot to mention that the that headline about how israel has uh the highest new cases per million and also the highest vaccination rate the one of the top comments on that article uh is can't people see what's going on here this is just isn't going to stop until we rise up and say no <laughs> so you can uh that that's how the the people reading 
uh, that article. That's that's their takeaway from it. Am I allowed to it. say that's Arsenal? Awesome, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you know, it it there, there's there's really two components to you know to, that underlie that kind of you know fear. One is the fear-based distrust of institutions and science that's been you know promulgated by leaders around the globe. I mean, this is a this is not this is a global phenomenon. Um, and the second is, is that, you know, I've studied statistics and math. It's like the hardest, it's like the most non-intuitive aspect of math I've ever studied. And for the common person who doesn't have strong math skills and has little math training, it's pretty easy for the disinformation propagators to confuse people um, in ways that they can't reconcile in their own head. And so part of it is distrust and part of it is being unskilled in statistics and, and, sub, and therefore in both cases subject to misinformation. So in, in some ways, I feel really sorry for the people who are so distrustful and can't compute statistics, even when it's fairly simple statistics. But the ones who are really toxic are the ones who are trying to convince everyone else not to get vaccinated. So if people decide themselves not to get vaccinated out of confusion or distrust, I really, you know, I sympathize with that. But but the people who are propagating the disinformation to get others not to take the vaccine, that's what that's where the hammer needs to come down. There is there is another edge to this, John, which is like. Um, you know, I also studied um, statistics and, and I, I get what you're saying about like the large, you know, the general person doesn't like uh, go into it in that depth. But I do think that there is the media needs to stand up to their definitions and to the presentation of it at times, because like, you know, you look at the BBC kind of like um, lectures to us every day on this. And, and, you know, if you look at the precise definitions of what they say, it's like I'm. I can see a line of logic of someone like getting annoyed at the BBC whenever they put up large scale statistics saying here are the number of people who have died, um, have, who have died with COVID. So then you scratch underneath the surface and you say, well, what was that? Was that the primary cause of the death? And then you layer under that. And, and, and it's in many cases, not the primary case, but it's, it's blinded with this, you know, lecturing to us by like someone with a plummy accent. So like, I'm not, I also agree with your point on, you know, it's a, it's a personal decision and we shouldn't be evangelical about, about telling people not to take the vaccine. But I do sympathize a little with this kind of like the media's definitions, whenever they apply the, the statistical data on top of it, it's, it's, it's not. Well, let, let, yeah, Dave, you, you make a really good point, but, but let me just, qualify it as a second order effect. So the first order effects of, of you know, distrust and, and lack of understanding of statistics, I think, are profound. The conflation of death from COVID versus with death associated with COVID is a trivial issue. So just, just for context, I set up the systems uh, for uh, that 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 yield the data for analyzing the outcomes of 12 million Americans, and in those systems, the data is really reliable. Reliable because of the way the data architecture was structured, and in those data, 
there are obvi- there's obviously a percentage of people who die with COVID, but that, that's not their primary cause of death. It's very small. Trust me, it's very small. This, this virus is really lethal. Now, if you do have an underlying condition and you're really sick and then you get COVID, it'll definitely tip you over the edge. You can say, well, you know, they probably would have survived if they didn't have heart failure and diabetes and, and uh, renal disease and, 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 and. And yes, that's true. Um, and, and yes, people with those comorbidities are more vulnerable to dying. But there's a whole lot of those people who would live another 20, 30, 40 years who are now dead because of COVID. So whether you call it um, a contributing factor to death or the primary cause of death is, is really second order. And my guess is that where it could be considered a, a you know, a, a, uh, an ancillary factor <laughs> is a cause of death is very rare. Okay, so we got to move back to headlines here. The Although on, on, on a similar point of people miscalculating, um, perhaps the Japanese prime minister to resign amid criticism over his rather impressive COVID-19 response, yet people are... Uh, Japanese don't seem so happy with it, and and maybe they should look at global statistics about how Japan has actually done a rather stellar job of it. So anyway, the I think that, that it's just an excuse. I don't think it's because of COVID. Response. Then he can say that. Then you're just you, here's no, no, the data. yeah, they, they did. He's not bad. He's not bad. He's not popular among LDP because right. he was nominated by Abe to, to be the interim PM, but he wasn't that popular among his uh, right. His, and he uh, can say his party because because. Right. He doesn't. He's not from a silver spoon. He doesn't have political back, family background. Right. Then he has nothing to worry about. He can say, "Here's the data. You're wrong." A nice try. Yeah. So, that's why he's going to focus on uh, COVID response and not to run to yes. the next PM. My my problem with like the positive or like what actually is with COVID is the like improper storytelling because whenever we like posit people with like statistics and like just inundate them with just numbers, it's never really going to work. And that's why I do. Um, aside with what people were doing on reddit because that is um, a better story told and if you look at the long form because whether or not we see the deaths or not every day there is a long tail of what people are looking at with the storytelling on the bbc or anything that's made to seem as proper information and a lot of governments have stumbled through it to be honest and that is what people are fearful of is that it's still a stumble whether you're right or not okay so the second hey, biggest headline fast. no no more covid talk y'all oh, okay I, I just wanted to say people sometimes just want to be willfully ignorant and blind just to be right fair enough that's what's happening so hey, that's all i, I want to say i'm I, i'm high-fiving you on that one so moving the, it along the next one is uh, according to sources amazon will launch its own tv featuring alexa and no third-party manufacturer branding in the u.s possibly as soon as October, maybe in time for Christmas. Uh, and they have a TV in India, a 55-inch TV, which happens to be made by Toshiba. So it's very likely these are actually Toshiba machines. It's very unlikely that Amazon's actually making their own TVs. That's not how it works. You There's factories you know, that you go to who will make you a TV with your own name on it. And it's being that they've worked with Toshiba in the past, it's very likely they are here as well. And the next headlines from Reuters. Who's Tyler, Tyler, just just quickly on that one. Hmm? Do, do you know the chip shortage? And you know you were talking about it earlier, but you know it's massively going to affect GDP on the cars. Like 
what about the retailers coming up to to Christmas and yeah. the product sets for the? You yeah, know, I was just going to bring it up too, that? David. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Given that they've got the Fire Stick and they can get as much data as they need from viewing habits from that, I'm so confused about this decision. I feel like there's something here that I'm not getting, but it doesn't make any sense to me why they would go into the extra effort of doing the TV itself. Yeah. The the next one is from that Reddit is planning an IPO as soon as early 2022, which would put it at about September, October, November, December, four, yeah, five, five months from now, which is very interesting because it was only yesterday that many of their top communities went dark in protest over the CEO's reluctance to remove COVID misinformation. And uh, I imagine they were not able to announce this IPO. Had they announced this IPO, um, before that user protest, um, boy, would that kind of have have some kind of potential uncalming effects around the IPO. There's another really interesting aspect around the IPO is that one of the largest communities in Reddit is Wall Street Bets, which intentionally um, kind of work together as a big group uh, to manipulate the price of the stock. And in and you can combine those two, those two separate, seemingly separate things. For example, um, Elon has the power to move the price of Tesla based on what he says or tweets, and he has gotten in trouble for doing exactly that. Actually, from the SEC, uh, what's to say that the Wall Street bets, being as big as they are, won't couldn't also do a protest on Reddit to make the price of Reddit go down or up or you see what I'm saying? I mean, they, they are in the game of manipulating uh, stock prices. And now they they themselves are one of the large communities on this platform, which is soon to be a publicly traded company. But they are they're not held to insider trading rules because they're not the executives of the company. Yet they have a lot of influence on the company which is now going to be publicly traded. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if something comes out of that. The so next they've point... been hyper-aggressive on changing... Every, every, they've been hyper-aggressive on like, updating their policies and um, updating what's allowed. Their, their main page, for instance, has been undergoing, undergoing extremely aggressive alterations uh, to the Reddits that they'll allow on there. Um, so this hasn't been... The, the, the concept of an IPO coming up was the only explanation for that. They've been removing a lot of the sort of adult material and whatnot and, and um, auto-banning accounts, hundreds of thousands of accounts left, right, and center. So this has been sort of... The IPO incoming has been talked about within Reddit for, for a long, 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 long time. Um, but yeah, making, making waves. Uh, the next one from Reuters that... The National Labor Relations Board is investigating two new complaints by Apple employees, including one by senior engineering product manager Ashley Gyovic, who alleges workplace harassment and more. And she has created a blog uh, documenting everything. And boy, is she a firecracker. Um, and the, her Twitter bio even says, uh, not, you know, Apple and uh, not fired yet. And she even took to her Twitter account recently to pontificate as to why she's not been fired yet. And um, 
yeah, now she's she's intentionally trying to cause as much, uh, inflict as much damage as possible to Happel. I can only imagine that perhaps her strategy is to rock as she's she's even she by the way just to give you an idea of what she's doing she's now uncovering how apple is contributing financially to state governments trying to get them to not um vote in favor of um anti-monopolies against apple so what she's she's exposing or trying to expose that, for example, Apple committed a hundred million dollars to Georgia, uh, but with the strings attached, that they not vote in favor of Apple being a monopoly, you know, in these bills before the House. So she's really trying to get Apple in very deep shit um, legally and politically. And I imagine this is her strategy: is to sh- essentially how much damage can one person cause. And how much will Apple be willing to settle to get her to shut up? Essentially, I mean that this is her strategy. And let's to force. Let's, let's zoom out. Yeah, this was all about feedback from a from a superior, right? Yeah, but I mean, she's really taken it ten levels beyond that. I mean, it, that might have been one of the instigating issues, but it's now she's really escalated it to a she's whole. Going she's, she's going scorched earth. She's going full earth. napalm. Yeah. Um, by trying to point out where Apple is manipulating politicians with money to prevent them from voting, uh, you know, uh, uh, in these upcoming bills where they're going to decide if Apple, you know, is acting, uh, abusing their monopoly tenant, you know, position or whatnot. And so by, by tweeting publicly about how Apple's paying money to, to state government, state governments um, to buy their votes, Oh boy, are you rocking some boats, Ashley? <laughs> Holy cow, Ashley! Um, She's probably never going to be. Look, I don't believe in uh, retribution and stuff, but it's going to be a challenge for her to ever have a job. And correct again, yeah. But she this so this is my point. She's going point. she's going for she's going for broke. I mean, she's going all in, and she's God, either she's either she wants to get you know a multi million dollar you know gag uh silent be to be paid you know a settlement for her silence in the tune of multiple millions so that she can retire i that seems to be her game plan here either that or she'll become somebody even bigger like a reporter or you know an activist in her own right right or she already got the sense that she was going to be unemployable even based on the initial uh skirmish and figured fuck it let's just give you you know why, why not go all the way so it's wild. It's really we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, t- she says today I launched a new Department of Justice campaign to combat the sharing of intimate videos and photos without consent. In case you didn't know my story, I had an intimate video. Oh no, that's a different. Sorry, she was retweeting somebody there. Um, sorry about that. That that was a misquote. A different. Tyler Herwin yeah. just says I love the smell of napalm in the morning. <laughs> I, I, I can't tell if you're joking or not. Yeah, that sounds like no, something. No, no, I'm go- She does say that? No, no, she doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> but that's my point. Is, it sounds like something she would say at this point. That's what I mean. Uh, she loves love the napalm 24-7. <laughs> napalm 247. Her new Twitter account. Yeah. 
Okay, so, uh, and now the whole new poisoning part begins to unfold. I, I am a current, would you mind, Carol, the poisoning part? She's, so now she's talking about poisoning? It's on her, 11 hours ago on her Twitter account? It's it's wild. Um, yeah, she, should, she could write a book called Poisoned Apples or something. Maybe she could get a book deal, movie deal, something, you know, who knows? I don't know if anyone else has uh, Facebook friends like this where they um, something happens and they literally go nuclear. And you're just hoping, like, man, I hope they don't say anything about me. Tyler, where did you did you get this one in your anti-vaxxer forums? No, this is um, we first stumbled upon this a couple of weeks ago, where it started. Like Chris said, it started off kind of mildly, and now it's it's really escalating in a very big way. So we'll see what happens. I'm sure there's more nuts to shake out of that tree. So. Um, or apples to shake out of that tree, as the, as the pun may be. So the next article is from the information. They say they have sources that Apple's planned VRAR headset is coming. But when it comes, it will need a wireless connection to an Apple device, like your phone or your laptop, for full functionality. Apple completed work on the VRAR chips last year. So the chips are done. And so that means it's probably a year or two away at the most. So maybe a year away. New details of the custom ships designed for Apple for its forthcoming virtual reality and augmented reality headset indicate uh, that it's about a year away. And Robert Scoble takes to Twitter to say, oh, by the way, let's say you are in VR exercising. Mom calls. Don't you hate having to take the headset to answer the phone? Yes. This one feature alone will make Apple's superior to Facebook because they have a phone and Facebook doesn't. Plus, I play VR while hooked up to my phone's cell connection. People still have no clue what Apple is about to do. Better better football, better TV, better Ted Lasso. Of course, it requires a phone. My phone already is better at all that than most people understand. Wait until everyday people see their photos for the first time. Okay, so the next one is from Coindesk that um, a company called Loot um, has created an an NFT series of a random list of items ostensibly for a fantasy video game and has 46 million in sales in just five days uh, with a combined market cap now of $180 million for the collective non-fungible tokens of this series, which people think is a virtual items for an upcoming fantasy video game. Reuters has sources that AWS plans to hire content moderators to look for emerging extremist groups and remove content that violates its cloud service policies, which we just talked about a minute ago. And why is Amazon doing this, especially at the same time that Apple was talking about doing it? Why would they both do this at the same time? And where is the announcement from Microsoft Cloud and Google Cloud about doing the same? Because now would be the time to do that. And then we would know that uh, this is certainly a a government-led initiative. The next one is, uh, the headline reads, The State of 5G in the U.S. Which state of the U.S. had the fastest download speeds? Which had the slowest download speeds? Uh, let me take a look at this real fast. The state of 5G in the U.S. Yeah, who has the fastest and slowest 5G 
in the U.S. Where's the Jeopardy music, Tyler? Come on, we need some Jeopardy. It's coming up right there, Evan. So which state in the U.S. has the fastest 5G and which has the slowest 5G? Let's go with fastest. fastest. Who? New York. Hawaii. Hawaii, not New York. You're out. California. Valley? No, not California. Washington. No, you're what out. What's the question? Fastest 5G. <laughs> San Francisco? No. Indiana. Alaska? No. Virginia? No. Illinois. Then Texas, then Nevada, then Hawaii, New Jersey, Rhode Island, California, Washington, Delaware, Georgia, Florida, Utah, Louisiana, Missouri. And that's your top 10 or so. And at the very bottom, you have basically New England. You have Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. Uh, rounding out the bottom three. You're not even close. Yeah. You all suck. So, the next one well, is... The, does, does, any, <laughs> does anybody know what the distribution of like providers is there? Because I'm, I'm aware that there's like basically like one or two, two, two or three providers in the US. Um, is it down to that? So, do you, do you see what I mean? Is it like uh, specific providers running in those areas that have market domination? And that's why it's it's lower? I imagine it might be ba- closer to their HQs. <laughs> I, I think it's probably I think it's probably related to the five um, G propagation because you know five G doesn't propagate as far as uh, the other technology, so they need more repeaters to cover uh, you know uh, rural areas. So that's probably why I, I think Vermont is more rural. It's mm. it's it's backhaul primarily. It's hard to get you know, optical high-speed backhaul at these sites in rural areas. So, I mean, we, we, we laugh about this and joke about it, but it's actually, you know, it has real-world consequences for those areas in the services that they, they have available to them and their experiences they use, but also the businesses that can operate there and, and what, like, uh, how many tech businesses want to move there and work from there, and every business is now becoming a tech business. And, you know, it has real-world effects to the quality of life, I imagine. So, you know, jokes aside... Okay, so the next big one is uh, from The Verge that game site data shows a dip in Twitch viewership on Wednesday of around 5 to 15% as some streamers took the day off of Twitch, which with the campaign called A Day Off Twitch, to bring awareness to hate raids, which is um, bot armies uh, going into streamers uh, while they're streaming and covering their comments with a whole bunch of nasty comments like this channel has now been taken over by the KKK, for example. And, and they're particularly, the report here says that they're targeting minorities, women and people of color and whatnot. And so, and, and it's, there's a considerable amount of this activity and it all started happening rather recently, about two weeks ago. And Twitch as of yet hasn't done much about it. They have made a comment that they're aware of it, no doubt they're trying to find out who's behind it before they shut it down or concurrently, obviously. But um, rather than just create a block of all of it, it would might be helpful to kind of know who it is. I, I'm very anxious to find to get a comment from Twitch uh, about who they suspect it might be. Um, and I, 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 I pinged in our local uh, uh, Twitch expert. She hasn't answered yet, but if okay. you see Emma pop in, you understand yes. what to do. Sweat bliss, yeah. So the, the bot army, uh, and then Johan, uh, on the bot army front, 
when you hear, if it is a state actor, because we have seen lots of, I mean, uh, it's been reported from Facebook's head of security that uh, Russia and China uh, are notorious for doing, uh, creating bot armies uh, in both Facebook and in Twitter, and that they both struggle, have struggled with that over the past decade. Now that they have dealt with it, Twitch has been kind of um, not been a victim of this. Is it possible that this is now uh, those same state actors moving their target and focus to Twitch? Well, it might be. Yeah, actually, that was a good point. The thing is that, that uh, the streaming business has been uh, quite, uh, have it had quite easy with these parts because they have had a doxing and other crap. But, but uh, this would have a massive amounts of bots coming in and posting and doing um, things. Uh, we have seen that happen to many, many platforms before. And the streaming platform is a bit of the new economy. So it might be that they actually became a target. The thing is here, but what is the alternative? Uh, every time else we have seen this, uh, the state actors that have been attacking have had their own and want people to move away from, from the American platform, which has always have been always everyone every else time. You are done. The next headline from Protocol, it says, following Texas's abortion law, tech companies could face suits over providing on-demand rides to abortion clinics or uh, healthcare clinics, subpoenas requesting user data and more. And this gets really wild very quickly in, in non-obvious ways. What, what they're implying here is the way that the bill is written says that uh, even any person or, or company assisting uh, in the somebody who's attempting to get an abortion is basically will be in deep shit as well. Meaning Uber or Lyft, who gave the person a ride to the abortion clinic, could have their data, uh, basically Uber and Lyft could possibly have their databases pulled to see who got rides to an abortion clinic because they're trying to figure out who's getting abortions. And there's a $10,000 reward if you can find uh, somebody who has. So, well, that's one fast way to find a whole bunch of people who may have is you get then figure out, um, you know, look at the Uber and Lyft data. Also, the examples that they give is might other tech companies have their data pulled? And there's uh, a lawyer is making this exact. He says uh, this law could lead to an explosion of court requests for user data from tech companies that hold troves of user data, says Evan Greer, director of the digital rights group called Fight for the Future. I could see it being abused by anti-abortion groups who could potentially use the discovery process in a civil lawsuit to demand sensitive information about people and organizations providing reproductive justice services and information. There are broader questions of corporate responsibility for tech companies to answer. When Indiana, this is where it gets so interesting, Indiana passed a law allowing businesses to deny services to same-sex couples. Salesforce um, canceled all business with the state of Indiana as a result of that. Saying, okay, that's fine, Indiana. You can pass that law you know, against the LGBTQ community, or we're no longer doing business with you. Salesforce is gone. When North Carolina passed uh, uh, the bathroom bill, PayPal canceled plans to hire 400 new people 
in the state of North Carolina. So will big tech companies uh, be doing similar moves with Texas now that they're doing this? So T- Tyler, the, the, the problem is this, this mm-hmm. law in Texas is going to be copied by maybe a dozen, two dozen other states. It's going to spread like wildfire to uh, to conservative states. So it's going to be really hard to then sanction, you know, dozens of states. Now, if, it seems, if... seems a little unreasonable, though, Tyler, to yeah. get the, the company who's like the, the Uber or Lyft or don't know that they're. Well, I suppose they do. They, they know the destination that they're going to. So then it, it puts them in a little bit of a position, right? So, well, it gets even more interesting because the CEOs of Match Match Group, which owns Tinder and uh, all of the dating sites, with the exception of Bumble, but the the CEO of Match Group, who owns Match.com, Tinder, and all the dating apps, is is a woman who has now created a fund to help support financially support women who want to get out of state abortions. Well, the wording of the law specifically aims to prevent exactly that that's a and then she's not the only one and and by the way the match group is headquartered in dallas texas also another dating site uh uh bumble uh which also has a female ceo also headquartered in austin texas also has created a fund to for the same purposes again uh seemingly flying right in the face of this new regulation that is contains language to prevent precisely this. In in one of the states, they have put up an anonymous site where you actually can report anonymously a tip of that that, that, uh, somebody is going to take in an abortion. This is dystopian beyond anything else I've heard in tech news ever. Yeah, exactly what's happening here. Like this is, who are we? As, as somebody outside of the UK, this is one of those uh, outside of the US and the UK. This is one of those titles that I kind of glanced at and saw when it came when it broke, um, you know, a week or so ago now, and then did a double take and wondered if they'd misprinted. And then it was somewhere like Afghanistan or somewhere like that that it was talking about. Because no way could this happen in in what I would class as a you know like a Western civilization in the US. And it's just absolute insanity. And it's a massive, at least in my very American politics uneducated mind, a massive step up in uh, tactics, as in like politicizing something as personal and as uh, dividing and polarizing as abortion. Like I, I can't think of anything more personal and more emotionally charged than enforcing your political and state opinion onto somebody going through the process or considering abortion. So it's like, what's what's the next step after this? If, if the people who are doing this legislation are perfectly fine with this and are content with this and, and the voting citizens, a majority of, or, or a large population of which are perfectly fine with this, and then if there's a huge population of people who are actually using these reporting services are perfectly fine with this, what's the next frigging step? Like, where do you go after Apple? Apple's in the process of setting up a new campus there. Will that continue? Will Apple team members allow it? Because we just be sure that a population is going to pressure them not to. We just saw Apple cave on the 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 image scanning case, and now there's been a notable uptick in the number of 
collective bargainings against Apple. First, that Antonio, the employee uh, that they were hiring to run their ad network, was uh, shown the door uh, before, while he was had it when he arrived. Then the employee said, uh, "Actually, we're not coming back to work on your three-day work schedule, Mr. Tim Cook." And now you've got this new one where users of Apple are saying, no, we don't want you to scan our photos. And then Apple backtracked on that. So you could assume a whole bunch of people say, hey, Apple, you're not going to open a campus in Texas now that Texas has done this. But this is going to be a shit fest, irrelevant of which way it goes, because if, if somehow, as far as I understand it, it is it is basically happening now. Um, this bill is. Um, even if you know, even if you have the, we're talking about where the big tech could become benign in nature and could actually, you know, white knight in and say, look, we're not doing business here. So Amazon and and Apple and whatnot could all band together and they say, look, this is so abhorrent to the morality of of this century, and and you know what the human race is now that we just don't want to do business here. And they could pressure. The comeback from that is the government and the conservative basically saying, look, look at all the power that these corporations have. Look what they're trying to do. They're trying to pressure the government. They're trying to control um, the things that you vote for and, and, and the people that you put in power. And then that will just be used as a weapon against them to then levy more controls. And it's just going to be a mess in so any direction. A fellow at Yale Law yeah, School, hold on one second, a fellow at Yale Law School's program for the study of reproductive justice named Priscilla Smith. Again, title is Fellow at Yale Law uh, Study of Reproductive Justice says anyone who fundraises for abortion patients, provides or tells someone how to get to a clinic could be at risk. Well, this is precisely as I said, this is exactly yeah, it's, it's, what it's, 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 what the vigilante system. So anyone anyone can sue anyone involved in the process. Right. And that's what I mean. Anyone who fundraises for yeah. abortion patients. This and that's what I said, that Bumble and Match Group both the female CEOs of both of those uh, dating uh, sites who, who are fundraising for the abortion patients who said they've created funds for them. Uh, well, what's going to happen? Uh, this, this is going to, there's, there's more, there will definitely be more uh, blowback from all of this. Tina, i sorry, I cut you off. Okay. This is an attack on free speech, the freedom of movement. Like this is insanity. And if so, anybody thought that, like, California was going to secede from the union, it sounds like Texas is planning to. <laughs> you know, I, I've been on that this on for the, a year, a couple years. So one of the things that people don't realize about the whole abortion uh, mechanism, most abortions today are not done by a DNC. They're done by medications. And I think that's something that people didn't realize was happening during the pandemic. So one thing that we saw was the uptake of uh, telehealth, uh, telehealth for medication abortion care protocol. It was actually developed out of UCSF, and actually uh, UT Southwestern was using it. It was to protect uh, women in the middle of COVID. And so this whole tech wave around it, a lot of people, at least in the healthcare space, are saying that this is also uh, – the state of Texas actually has had some issues with telehealth before. They sued Teladoc. They sued Amwell and, and this as well. So what they, had, what they were seeing across the board was the use of technology – uh, where the patient never had to come into a location. In fact, Planned Parenthood built its own telehealth platform, I'm not even kidding, to initiate and enable uh, you know, tele the use of telehealth for abortion so women could, in private, get the care that they needed. Uh, but it's um, So uh, now, uh, the way it would work is you would do a telehealth appointment, you would then, the doctor would ask you a bunch of questions, and as long as you were safe, they would say, okay, come by, do a drive-by, pick up the pills, and go home. 
And this was happening actually all over the country, um, but in Texas especially. And uh, this is also, people aren't talking about this angle, but I know that there's an article com coming out about this, where literally this, now if you are Amwell or Teladoc or any other platform, there's some direct platforms, NewRx and others, where they're actually working on this specific protocol. Um, uh, you, you are now liable for suit. And if you're a doctor that happens to not even be based in Texas, but licensed in Texas, that was actually doing this, now you're liable as well. And we just don't know what this is going to mean for access to abortions for people of color, especially. Well, it's unlikely in terms of just, um, uh, what's it called? Um, in terms of uh, actually uh, facing punishment or penalty, if you are not within Texas, right, if you're not in the state, it's going to be very difficult for them to prosecute you for anything that you do. So like the fundraising that's done nationally um, or doctors who prescribe long distance or whatever, that is not something that they're going to be able to do. The one thing they could do is if you are prescribing for patients in Texas and you have a, te a Texas license, they could suspend your license if you're doing something that's deemed illegal. It depends on whether or not the AMA ends up taking a stand on it. But um, it's unlikely that other states would um, would extradite for uh, this particular thing. So, so I'm going to go back to what Evan said earlier, which is we're going to. So in Missouri, even though St. Louis is a pretty liberal city, the in Jefferson City, they're quite Republican. And so, uh, you know, I would not be surprised that what Evan's saying holds true. This, you know, uh, this is a uh, whether you are pro-life or pro-choice, uh, you, you know, people have to admit that this was a very elegant way to uh, to stump the Supreme Court. Uh, and uh, we're going to see this repeated across all the all the pro-life states. And so I think, uh, Alexander, I agree with you, but like that only works if you happen to be located in a pro-choice state uh, for a uh, for the duration of your clinical practice. And I think that that's what's scaring. I, I can tell you right now, no doctor that uh, is licensed in the state of Texas is going to take this chance anymore. Oh, I, I agree. I'm just saying that it's actually the ex the state extradition uh, policy is much lighter than you would. I mean, it's it's uh, it's much more difficult for extradition to happen even between states than most people think. It is unlikely that they're going to use state like state. It, it, it's they can't justify the use of state resources to return someone to another state for a nonviolent crime, right? So um, it's and and even then, in some violent crimes, it's like they don't pursue um, unless has come in because it's an extraterritorial thing. But um, but I did see two things. One is that um, Senator Mikulski from Maine is getting a huge amount of um, blowback from this because she said that uh, she voted for Kavanaugh because he apparently told her Roe v. Wade is settled law, which clearly he didn't think so. Um, and then the other thing is um, that it looks like the House Democrats are looking to um, codify Roe v. Wade. Um, that's a long process. It looks like they have the votes for um, the House, but they don't have it for the Senate. So I think that public response to the like senators is actually going to make a big difference as to whether or not it becomes codified. And then it's something that there isn't that leeway for them to have individual cases um, that, that can come up and go to the Supreme Court. Tyler, check the hand raise, please. Okay. Thank you. We got Donna and oh, there's Messi. Okay, alrighty. Next headline. Can I just add one thing? On, sure, on Donna, the, go ahead. Uh, um, there's also, and I don't know if you spoke about it, 
um, the, 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 the problem of uh, the bringing, the, you know, the, the civil action against people is it's, it's not limited to one person doing it. So 10 people can go against one person and say that they aided or bedded or, or whatever. And then the judge, there's not a limitation of what the judge can, can award um, for, for, for a combination of legal fees. And yes, of course, the 10,000, but the 10,000 could be with 50 people. So it, it, you know the numbers can really go up, and yet on the person that is accused, if they're found if they're found to be innocent, they own they don't get anything, they don't get their legal fees or otherwise done. And this I think is probably one of the areas in which the Supreme Court ultimately will you know will get a strike down for this particular portion of the law. But they did it very cleverly, so no state officials are being used to bring the actions against the persons that were aiding or abetting or, or performing the, these, the abortion, the illegal activity, abortion or otherwise. It could be brought against an Uber driver for bringing the person to the clinic. I was That's just actually mention that is right. The taxi cab driver, the person that walks them that, uh, cause I do that. I volunteer at some of the clinics to help the women from wherever their car or whatever transportation and help walk them into the clinic. And, the walk for them is usually, it's already sad already because they're making a decision to do something and you just have people outside just harassing them as they go, calling them all sorts of names and just everything. So it won't be just limited to the doctors, the clinic, thing else. It could be just the individuals volunteering. So, you know, you just remove all the protections that these women or the support system that these women have during this process. It's insane i mean it depends on how they how they describe the act right if the act is taking people to the um to the clinic uh you can only prosecute one time for an act like even if many people are part of the one act that um is being prosecuted it's only it's it's deemed one act so it act so it, it actually has it depends on how they how they define the act that um, that is the that is impactful that makes that is illegal. If it's every time you drive, that's one thing. But it's driving in general that could be considered one act. So all of the drivings or whatever are one time. So I think it depends on that. But I think it's um. um do you guys? Well, do you remember what Hobby Lobby a few years ago did that? They took off. Um, like contraception and, and plan B from their health insurance. They said nobody who works there could, could uh, get it anymore. And there was a huge outcry. This is what concerns me the most. Outrage doesn't last in this country unless it's against Democrats right, or liberals, but it doesn't really last. So I'm really concerned that we're upset right now, but that Hobby Lobby thing was huge because that's a, they employ a huge group of women who really need that service, right? And they didn't get it. And there was a big outcry and they never changed it. That law still applies. People stopped going there, but didn't really affect their bottom line. They're still in business. So this is what concerns me is that it needs to be a huge, constant sense of outrage. And, and only conservatives, like social conservatives, seem to be able to muster that sort of outrage over the long term. Because otherwise, something new is going to come along and we're going to be like, oh, no, that's outrageous. And no one's going to remember this. And that's going to be, you know, problematic. I think this is what concerns me the most about when when rules get passed in this country that are harsh for 
um, that, that hurt, you know, women, people of color, what you consider the progressive causes, that's really what happens is that there is, it's very hard to sustain action against it. Okay. The best argument I've seen, sorry, the best argument I've seen online is what role does the man play in this? Because, you know, a man would played a role in the conception of the, of the, of the, uh, you know, the fetus. So, you know, I think the male has to be part of the counter, uh, part of the party that gets pursued as well. Okay, breaking news just happening right now. This is a wild one. So we've been covering the DD drama ever since they mentioned they wanted to IPO. And China said, you shouldn't do that. They, they want to IPO in New York. China said, don't do it. They said, go fuck yourself. And they went and did it. They jumped over the Atlantic in the general lease. And, you know, went straight to New York and did their IPO. And then China came the next day trying to shut it down. And they, they effectively did shut it down. They stormed the offices, cracked open the servers, looking for all the data. And now the update, the headline just breaking is the CCP is, is, to, is taking over Didi under state control. What? <laughs> from Reuters, from Bloomberg, from Barron's, and and others. Here, I'll I'll just read the actual headlines. Beijing's city government seeks to take Didi under state control. That's Bloomberg. Reuters says Beijing city looks to take Didi under state control. Barron's says Beijing may take control of Didi. Investors seem to like the idea. South China Morning Post, who's located there in the ground, Beijing orders end to ride hailings vicious competition uh, amid DD probe that was yesterday and Beijing city looks to take DD under state control this, this is mean they're going to have only one ride sharing service in all of China uh, well likely the state wouldn't be so happy about other having other competitors that would be kind of pointless if you're competing with the well, state that's a good idea then. yeah I don't know that you would want to be CCP and find out um, and, and why are the um, how is this uh... Sorry about that. Well, there, there, I can see why uh, there's a lot of reasons why the state would want to do so. It's, it's, it, these services do border on public services, like Uber functions in a way of transporting people around. You could say that's a, a very strong social uh, utility at scale. And it has cameras and microphones in the car. All the better. And we know where you're going. Even better. <laughs> so, oh, man. I, I've got to ask. I mean, uh, you know, does this not smell a little bit like early stages of the Soviet demise? I mean, I, I'm getting a little bit confused here. Are they trying to scare other companies from coming to China or building? I, in China? I don't know what you could do that would scare them more. What do you think, Jeff? Well, well, why did? Uh, hold on, but why did they say that the investors were happy about this? To the, it's the same point. You would be too. Going to have a monopoly. Whenever and Tyler, how, what happened uh, that uh, the theory that you were uh, going um, saying last time that they are doing this for their population, uh, especially the ad tax to make it cheaper for people to have kids and raise kids and right. to improve their yeah. you so know, they, demographic. So they take but away all the profits. That to... they, right. Well, you could make the cars far more uh, cost effective. If you took out the profit motive, and yeah, just uh, you could. I... 
it's the juicy juicy data well there's also that there's 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 also the interesting point that we brought up and i believe this helps kind of prove this point just a little bit more which was and no still to this state nobody else has reported this this was only revealed by an actual geek on the ground in beijing who said that the real reason the ccp shut down the ddipo and didn't want it to happen in the first place came screaming over to new york to to pull them back home uh the day after they did their ipo was because the ccp is uh, i know there's just an you know uh and it's an incredibly huge um party and the party members are huge users of dd multiple times a day and they're having conversations either with other party members in the back seat of the car or on their phones that are of national security concern and they can't risk a company having that data hacked or leaked Hence, they might need to take control of it if they want to continue to use those cars, which they sure as shit do. How else are they going to get around? It's become kind of an irreplaceable way to get around. And so the question becomes, what other ride shares do they have to go out and clean up, right? And so China just says, you know what? Screw this. We're just going to take this and we're going to shut everybody else down. And we're going to have full, you know, top-down view of all the citizens and their travel activities as well as their conversations in the car. So... You know, think about China as always being the uber controlling parent and everything will become clear. But wouldn't it have made more sense for them to just uh, create a separate car service with party officials driving and four party officials like that's like that's what most governments who are scared about uh, secret reveal. Right. Even the U.S. does it. You have separate services specifically for. Um, you know, people who are in, in office, they don't get charged for it. And in return, you know, if they, like everybody's beholden to the, the party. So I'm not really sure why they would, you know, why would you take over a car service? It's just, it, it doesn't make sense to me that investors would be happy because that basically precludes it from expanding beyond I, I can, I've got to say that the investors are probably not happy. I think they're saying they're happy because they want to walk away with their lives. And I was also going to say <laughs> the other, the other, the other side of this is that um, you're absolutely right, Alexandra. In a normal country with normal behavior, they would want to protect state secrets. Here, they're trying to know everyone's secrets. And so that is usually the goal of this government. And I'm not trying to be super anti-China. No, this I know. Stuff, but but know, there's, there's, additional, there's additional headlines that relate to precisely this because Alibaba was going to do the massive IPO as well on Ant, Ant, the uh, Alipay app, which is Ant Financial. Al, Alibaba is the Amazon of Asia. They have a an app called Alipay, which is one of the digital wallets that everybody uses. More than a billion users use Alipay to pay for stuff. And right before they were going to IPO, days before they were going to IPO, they got shut down. And now they are being uh, rolled into a state-controlled company. And their data is being used to create the, a, a financial credit score for the 1 billion Chinese people because they have the shopping history of a billion Chinese people. So that these things, we have to assume these dots connect in, or these puzzle pieces connect in some interesting way of the, the, the government taking over these massive private tech companies who have lots of data about their citizens. And in the case of the uh, Alipay app, 
they're not they're not and as usual they're being very transparent they're saying no we're we're taking it over and we're going to make a credit score out of all of out of the data and it's very useful to us as the government and thank you very much and uh, thank you for building this lovely company for the for your uh, for the state i can just imagine a world tyler where uncle g knows now that uh, you went to dinner with a, a, a nice young partner and you did you pay did you not pay oh you shouldn't go dutch this time you should pay next time like, you'll get a text you know, halfway through dinner home. make sure you pay it's like a it's like the microsoft <laughs> I mean, like, thing that pops up that says hey you should pay was yeah, there like, sexual intercourse like, involved yeah. afterward no, I, I think they're going to explain why the shareholders like this if people wanted to know. I think the shareholders like this because it's not all that dissimilar from when other state-owned companies in other countries, sometimes which were publicly owned, sometimes privatized, and they only privatized partially, so the uh, the you know the the public investors become you know um, just partial investors and sometimes minority investors, sometimes even majority investors though in a state-owned enterprise. But, you know, you kind of like it because, you know, the state's there with you. And if they protect you from competition and you still commit and, and if there's still profits technically. So and this is probably a better outcome than they had. with Yes, the Chinese that's ed- absolutely ed- correct. Well, I yeah. sent you a DM, Tyler. Okay. Beijing just ordered right killing firms to end their vicious competition yesterday. Yes. So if DD can be state owned and then at least they will survive, they will not be crushed. Yeah, this is weird. So Cheryl just sent it in from South China Morning Post. Beijing orders ride hailing companies to end the vicious competition uh, as DD's cybersecurity investigation continues. That was yesterday from South China Morning Post, who normally does fantastic reporting from from China. And then the headline just now in the past, uh, well, some of them, they're still coming in. There's one from five minutes ago from Bloomberg that I just tweeted out that uh, uh, the Beijing city uh, will take over Didi uh, uh, under state control. And, and by, I think the Chinese government will make the point that they might treat the Didi. And I'm almost I'm being like really kind of serious in a way. That they might treat the DD shareholders, like the public shareholders, including the ones in the U.S., they might treat them better than the American government treated the shareholders of Fannie Mae and say, hey, at least you, know, you came out with more. So, it, it you know, it, it, it's interesting. Yeah, how, how does that? Excuse me? Cash. Do you just get cash for your shares or, or is it confiscated? No, you, you, they'll, di- they'll dilute you. They'll just basically they'll issue new shares to the, state, the Chinese government. They'll figure out how much of the company they want to own. They'll figure out how many board seats they're getting, but at least you got something as opposed to zero, you know? And, yeah, and, and if they want to exit, it's a good chance to exit too. And okay. this is not just about uh, listening to the conversation inside the car. Every DD car would be eye on the road. So basically you have all these cars, you know, maintaining what happens on the road, maintaining the what happens you inside mean? the yeah, because you know it's gonna have a two-way camera, one on the road, yeah, one it's, inside. It's the new stuff. Oh, right? that you know what, Cam, Cam. By the way, for those who don't know, Cam uh, built a car company at one point um, and knows a lot about cars. And this touches on the point that Tesla. We there was a he- widely reported headline about two months ago that Tesla was told by China, the government, that they need to turn off the cameras on their cars. 
And Tesla said, or we, keep all their footage, or keep all their footage in China, right? Right. Well, that ended up being the compromise. But they were initially told you need to turn off all of your cameras on your cars because they have like eight or nine cameras on the outside of the cars for the autonomous driving. And and China realized that they're using cameras, not lidar, so that you can actually see images. And China says, well, you don't want you having video, especially in in sensitive areas near government buildings and whatnot. So, which is, for example, there's no Google Street View in China. And so we don't want an American company uh, having cameras on our roads. You, please turn off your cameras. And then the, the sort of compromise. And then, of course, Tesla said, well, <laughs> we have autonomous cars that use the cameras. That's how the car drives. And um, uh, apparently the compromise is that they will uh, they had to you know, build the data servers to host all of that video content in China. Makes sense. So, but Cam brings up an interesting point as these cars, these DD cars will also likely in the near future have cameras and they will also be autonomous in the near future. There's already parts of Beijing that are already kind of sandboxed for autonomous taxis and uh, getting ready for the Beijing games. Uh, they have the Winter Games 2022 coming up in just a few months where they want to showcase this autonomous taxi technology during the Olympics for all the visitors. So uh, if taxis do have cameras on the outside of the cars in the very near future, then again, it would make sense that China would want to uh, have a, a, a significant hand in, in control in, the, in this company. So it's very, very interesting. So speaking of cars. Wait, I, I just have a very stupid question, but it's short. Um, does that mean that there's no Google Maps in China? Like, do they have like just Baidu, man. That's Baidu, Baidu man. Man. Only picture and all, okay. no Baidu is the Google of China. It's the main search engine in China. You can you can go to Google Maps in, from any country in the world and you know look at businesses and and see reviews uh, like on you know, but uh, you can't drag you can when you look at the street view. There's no street view. There's no camera like on the road. Drive. There was no car with a camera driving around town, um, getting the street view images. There's but that's true of many countries actually in Google Street View. So the next story is also about cars from The Verge and many others that General Motors says it is temporarily halting production of six of its North American factories. That's pretty much all of them due to the global chip shortage, making GM, the makers of Chevrolet, GM, Cadillac, Buick and others and Ford as well is also pausing. Yesterday, one of China's big car companies, Neo, just announced the same uh, the day before that. Hyundai said the same. Toyota said it a week ago, two weeks ago. Every, it's nearly every day now we have a major car company announcing they're pausing production of cars. And this is what they were trying to avoid because if this global chip shortage, um, it, the problem is, is the chips themselves have a value. The governments, some governments, their GDP is tied to car production. And so when the cars stop being produced, there's so many jobs uh, and so much, you know, additional revenue that comes out of the car economy that these little chips have now uh, are killing the golden goose. It, the, the shortage of chips previously, you know, limiting the sale of iPads or uh, hair dryers or, uh, oh, I don't know, um, TVs, uh, TV monitors that doesn't impact the economy on a mass scale like cars do. So the sales of cars are, you know, those are high, very high ticket items. They employ a whole lot of people and there's a whole lot of GDP attached to cars, especially in countries like Germany um, 
who are built on their car industries. So this is going to have uh, potentially long-term uh, economic impacts, and it, it's it starting to drive the economists a bit crazy, understandably. So the yeah. next... You, uh, you, know that, you know that Sweden has uh, Scania, Scania and uh, Volvo trucks have, are stopping next week, as well as Volvo cars are stopping for two weeks. It's just a tiny country outside. Yes, Sweden. Close to the polar bears. Yes, Sweden is also a one of one of these such countries like Germany that disproportionately has their GDP attached to automobile production because they have Scania, which is an incredibly large truck company for Europe, and of course Volvo. Um, so it's uh, it's going to be hard there as well. Should we go to the next? I one? was um, uh, real quick. I was a member of SAE when I was in college. That's the Society of Automotive Engineers. And in 2000, one in six Americans worked in the auto industry. And yeah, that's so, hence the point. I don't know where we're at now. Right. But, you know, like that was how huge the auto industry was then. Yeah. Next one is JD.com. And for those who don't know, JD is also one of the biggest e-commerce sites on the planet. It's And it's especially in China. It's the main, it's main market is China. And JD, you can think of it like Amazon. Uh, it's just a massive e-commerce site in China. But JD.com's real estate unit has agreed to buy a controlling stake in China Logistics in a deal valuing the company at $2.1 billion at a 7% premium on Wednesday's close. And the next one's from Bloomberg, that China's SMIC will spend $8.87 billion to build a plant on the outskirts of Shanghai and set up a $5.5 billion joint venture with Shanghai's government to oversee the project. SMIC to set up the JV in the city's free trade zone. The company is pivotal to China's broader chip ambitions. And it's a semiconductor company, and they're going to spend nearly $9 billion to build this plant outside of Shanghai. And this, <laughs> you, now you, those headlines go together with the car companies shutting down due to the lack of chips. The governments are going all in on chip production however they can. Uh, China was just trying to buy a Korean chip uh, company yesterday uh, and there was that was made a headline because that Korean chip company is publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange so the New York Stock Exchange can approve this acquisition or not and they decided not to and China responded saying this you are now uh, meddling in global um, you know politics by denying this uh, um, and it's you know because these chip companies these chip factories are golden nuggets uh, uh, and golden pieces on the chessboard. And there's a, a real fight over these. In fact, all, you know, uh, out of the UK, China was also trying to purchase the largest uh, manufacturing facility out of the UK. And the UK government is now actually trying to claw that deal back at the last minute. So it's, it's a wondering they can get the uh, wonder if they can get the machine they want. Oh, well, that's another interesting dynamic in the whole global chip shortage, which all of these chip companies like TSMC, which Cheryl herself used to work at, um, TSMC being kind of the the queen on the chessboard of all of the chip manufacturing out of Taipei, Taiwan. And the, uh, uh, the all of these chip companies rely on a company out of the Netherlands to even set up the process of becoming a chip factory. One and the, of the company. Yeah. Uh, so this Dutch company is itself a super critical key 
to even allow, you know, starting more chip for these chip companies to even continue to grow. ASML is, um, and by the way, America understands how critical they play in the role of even having growing uh, chip companies. And so they have monopolized and made a kind of handshakey, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, backdoor deal to prevent them from uh, partnering with China to uh, uh, kind of, every country right now is trying to become uh, independent in their chip manufacturing, China very notably so, and everyone's very dependent on Taiwan. And so that there's this huge struggle uh, on the, on the chip front. And yeah, that, in fact, most of the machines and materials are from, uh, yeah, Netherlands, us and Japan or us ally. And it gets, it, it, believe it or not, it gets even far crazier than that. It, it, it turns into a whole South, a South China Sea issue. So anyway, the next one is from Wall Street Journal that Ireland's Data Protection Commission, on behalf of the EU, fines Facebook's WhatsApp 225 million euros, about $260 million, for privacy violations, uh, the second largest fine under the GDPR that was passed a couple of years ago, the data protection. And... Um, obviously they're going to appeal it. Regulators say chat service unit failed to disclose fully how it collected and shared data about its users. And it did it in ways that is not in line with the GDPR. And um, that will get dragged out for a very long time indeed. But now it's, we've now had three big American tech companies all get very large fines for violating GDPR. First was, uh, Google, and then Amazon, and now Facebook. So the EU is collecting some heavy-duty fees indeed on the GDPR. All of the blockchain companies that operate out there, most of them have incredibly poor practices. They don't have much of an understanding of how all these privacy policies work, and not even their, their policy statements are correct. So that's going to be a fun mess that'll happen too. I'm sure after they're done with all the giant mega companies, they're going to come hunting for all these other companies. There's another interesting element that I'm not seeing any of the reporters report on. Maybe some of the tweeters are adding the additional context, you know, when they retweet the headline and then they add their own little comment. Um, but the, the, the interesting word in that headline is Ireland, actually. Ireland's Data Protection Commission on behalf of the EU finds WhatsApp 225. It's because Facebook is based in Ireland, in, in Europe. That's, they have a very large campus in, in Dublin. And that was true for many tech companies. When Ireland was rolling out the red uh, lowered corporate tax rate carpet uh, to set up in Ireland to function uh, for these American tech companies in the EU. And Ireland didn't want to penalize Facebook in this way over GDPR. And the EU said, do it. <laughs> and they said, we don't want to do it. We're Ireland. They're in Ireland. They employ a whole lot of thousands of Irish people. And the EU said, do it. <laughs> and Ireland says, yeah, but you know, we don't really want to do that. These are our friends, Facebook. They employ our, our friends and our cousins and our um, a whole lot of Irish folks. Maybe it's, maybe we don't need to find them so much. How, how does uh, 50 million sound? And the EU said, how about 225 million? So Ireland itself isn't too happy about uh, this large fine that they are forced to put on uh, Facebook. 
So it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic. The same thing happened with Apple, by the way, on the big Apple tax bill. Ireland brought Apple into Ireland, attracting them with these incredibly low tax rates. And then the EU's fining Apple for you know billions. And then you know Apple's looking at Ireland like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, and Ireland's saying, we don't want it. This is the EU. This ain't us. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, but it's a very um, fun game they have going on over there. So, and by the way, is uh, Patrick, let me ping in Patrick. And this is the fun of Clubhouse. Is it not the ability to ping in people who actually were involved in those deals? Pat, my, a friend of mine, Patrick, who now works with me in Stockholm with the government in bringing tech to Sweden, was in fact, he's from Ireland, and he was in fact the person who uh, led bringing over these American tech companies to be based in Dublin. So he could tell the actual stories as he has done here previously. And it's always enlightening when he does. So hopefully he'll be able to join us uh, if I can find him. Okay. So we'll, let me know if somebody named uh, Patrick joins in the audience. So, so the next one up is from TechCrunch that a Bangkok-based app called Sunday, which uses AI and machine learning to provide personalized insurance products and services, raises $45 million from Tencent, which is a... China's biggest tech company. They have WeChat, which is their super app uh, that kind of runs the whole show there. And that's fantastic to see Bangkok uh, having a, a machine learning AI startup and raising a Series B at 45 million. Kudos to the ties there. The next one is from Bloomberg, the delivery hero, my buddy Nicholas, who happens to be a Swede, although he's growing the company out of Germany, raises 1.25 billion via convertible notes. It's third equity linked issuance in less than two years. Delivery Hero raised 1.2 billion euros, 1.5 billion dollars from an offering of notes convertible into shares, uh, making the food delivery company's third equity linked issuance in less than two years. And they're killing it. And uh, yet another Swede um, who early on went to um, Germany to build their tech company. And of course, Sweden would love to count that as one of the Swedish unicorns, but in Delivery Heroes case, we don't. Nor do we count SoundCloud, which is also Alex and Eric, who also are from Stockholm. And that's that's sad. But Germany needs more unicorns. So we happen to be doing quite well in Sweden as it is, even without Delivery Hero or SoundCloud. So the next one's from Reuters that China says it will set up New York uh, a new stock exchange in Beijing that will primarily serve innovation-oriented companies. There you go. That makes it easy. And they... A lot of the headlines lately was was painting the picture that China wasn't all so excited about Chinese tech companies listing on the American exchanges. And in fact, they now make it a requirement that you have to have a, a very deep due diligence on your data before you and get formal approval to do an IPO, which that came into play when Didi said, yeah, screw you, we're doing it anyways. And then shortly after, they, they made it a, a formal uh, regulation that you must get formal approval to go list on the American exchanges. Eh, kind of painting the picture that they're none too happy about the, the Chinese companies doing this. And so now uh, they're creating their own uh, new exchange in Beijing that will primarily serve innovation-oriented companies. Makes all the sense in the world. And there it is. So the next one is from The Verge that Apple's updated rules allow web sign-up links appear to apply only to apps that don't make much money for Apple like Netflix and Spotify. It's 
four apps that don't make Apple any money anyways, says The Verge. While vocal app developers accused Apple last week of spinning the lawsuit, and it's basically um, the whole issue of signing up to a subscription inside of the App Store, you can't really. Um, You have to do that outside, and it's uh, Apple's essentially just removing some of the friction by allowing those apps to link to the place where you can sign up. Uh, And also, it's very likely that in the very near future, you will also be paying outside of the uh, in-app purchase system that Apple has had a bit of a a unique monopoly on. Well, Google has it too. And it was Korea about two, now about three days ago, just ruled that in Korea, they can no longer have that monopoly of the singular in-app payment mechanism where they were the exclusive in-app payment solution for all payments inside of the App Store. And they were in, in, Apple and Google taking a 30% cut within their own App Stores for the you know processing that in-app purchase. And of course, the app developers would love to uh, handle that purchase directly with their users. And now in Korea, they can. And then 24, 48 hours later, as predicted by yours truly in this room, did I not? It, now here's the headline from Reuters: Indian, uh, comp- uh, an Indian nonprofit called Together We Fight Society has filed a complaint with the Competition Commission of India, accusing Apple of anti-competitive app store practices. So now this is going to court in India, exactly mimicking what happened in Korea, because the Indians are thinking, "Oh wow, Korea just passed a rule. Now all the Korean apps don't have to pay the thirty percent Apple tax or Google tax in their app stores. We want that for all of our." Uh, companies here in India, and they're going to get it easy peasy. And then this, there's going to be a huge dominoes uh, around the world, uh, which is now underway. And the only real question is who's going to be next after India to just make it real simple and just pass a law that uh, you can have more, you can allow the app developers to charge the um, users directly, and and that the app stores can't monopolize the in-app purchase. So they'll circumvent the 30% tax. And there, there it is. Here it comes. Tyler, the next is South Africa. This is where it'll get weird, is the battle between the tech giants and these governments. In some cases, uh, Korea has a really robust app ecosystem. It's a lot of money that in those app sales. In some countries where it's a really small amount, um, you know, you'll see resistance. And uh, but in the really big company, in the really big countries with the really big markets, these tech companies don't. You know, they gotta they gotta play ball. And we, you, you and I know this better than anybody about how India managed to get these big tech companies to do whatever they want when it comes to compliance in terms of content and in terms of um, corporate development of setting up their offices on the ground in India and having compliance officers on the ground in India. And uh, even though Twitter tried their best not to comply, um, they ended up having to do exactly as Mr. Modi insisted. Because Korea market share for Apple is uh, Apple phone is twenty two percent, right? Japan is forty seven percent, and then uh, India is what three percent, three four percent of what? Um, smartphone market share. Oh, 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 what? Oh, you're right. So in in India, 
uh, Apple smartphones are actually a very small percentage of the total. It's mainly an Android market. Good point, Cheryl. So it's actually, I think it's about 3% in India. Yeah, in, in, in Japan, it's actually very high, incredibly high. 27. Yeah. And then in Korea, it's a bit lower because 22. they have Samsung. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting difference for sure. So the the other those are the big 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 boring headlines that your unsophisticated coworkers and, and non geek cousins are now reading about and sharing on Twitter. But those are not the interesting headlines that we as geeks are interested in because um, we as a as a as a congregation of geeks from all over the northern and semis hemisphere come together here twice a day in Clubhouse to find the really interesting headlines that they will be talking about three, four, five, six months from now. Because all the headlines we read, we've been reading headlines like that for the past few months. And But here are the headlines that are happening now that uh, we here as, as, a, as a family and a community are finding all over the place and sharing with each other. Um, and in no particular order, um, which which ones should we dive into here? Does anyone have well, a Tyler, the, the the biggest one on the internet? Our uh, our friends ABBA. You got you got to cover that. One, right? <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know if that's a really a tech headline. So Bjorn, well, they're, they're doing holograms. Come on, yeah, they're yeah. Be in holographic. They're very geeky. Bjorn kind of steers the ship there uh, on Team ABBA. ABBA, if, if you know, Stockholm's a very small town. Uh, Bjorn uh, has made appearances at my parties and events in Stockholm. Um, and he's a geek, uh, honestly, uh, even as he's uh, getting into his golden years. And ABBA still, you know, loves to innovate. And they are got a whole bunch of headlines today. And they're basically releasing a new album. With, and they're doing it as holograms. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, but a, a whole yeah, they they actually are running the avatar style of the cause the, the the thing that people miss at the music video that they have put out more than half of the pictures are avatars uh, generated by whole uh, green screen suits uh, you can find uh, the 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 link to the uh, behind the scenes movie is removed from the abbas main channel they needed to edit something there was some some brands you saw you saw a brand of something that shouldn't be published, uh, but but it is uh, more than half of the movie is avatars. Try to spot them. In the end, it's easy. In the middle, it's harder. You wonder. Well, speaking of kind of hologramish uh, on that front, Hollywood Reporter. This one coming in from Doctor Fran. I'm and as as always with the headlines, we tweet them out. Um, so that you can read the in depth the articles that you find the most interesting. We read the headlines in the first bit of it and comment it on. And everyone's welcome to comment. And everyone in the audience is free to jump on stage and share a headline from their part of the world, geographically or professionally, as Dr. Fran did. But she did it remotely through the Twitter account by simply including our Twitter handle as part of her tweet. That's how we got notified. And now we're retweeting her tweet to our uh, to anyone who's following us on Twitter. So that you can uh, read the article yourself. And the headline from Hollywood Reporter from our friend Dr. Fran says, uh, Taiwan's virtual reality industry takes fest the Venice Film Festival by storm. And this is a new uh, interesting change in film. Film is 
notably the film festivals that are happening now, like the Venice Film Festival, which is one of the premier film festivals globally, is they've got a whole lot of VR coming, uh, a whole lot of VR film. And filmmakers, many of them are, are really starting to dabble with VR, just like uh, Abba's dabbling with holograms. And, and according to The Hollywood Reporter, Taiwan's virtual reality industry takes the Venice Film Festival by storm. With strong financial backing at home and a thriving tech sector, Taiwanese filmmakers are dominating the immersive format. No other country manifests such a commitment to VR. And indeed, Taiwan is the home of HTC, which is the maker of the HTC Vive and uh, one of the major VR headsets. Um, so Taiwan's leadership position in the still emerging field of virtual reality storytelling has seldom been more evident than Venice's 2021 VR competition section. Seven of the 37 VR projects selected to exhibit in Venice this year are from Taiwan, a record number for a single territory. Taiwan's mixed reality media artist, Sin Chien Huang, who won Venice's very first Best VR Experience Award in 2017, is back with two works in the competition. How exactly has Taiwan, home to just 23 million people and dwarfed by its vastly larger high-tech neighbors like China and Japan, emerged as such a worldwide powerhouse in VR? The chairman of the Taiwan Creative Content Agency, a well-funded industry support organization established in June 2019 by Taiwan's Ministry of Culture, cites several overlapping factors driving the territory's success in immersive content creation. Here's the quote. Taiwan is the largest semiconductor producer in the world and the leader in hardware manufacturing, so our creators really embrace technology. They're not afraid to, to experiment. She also points to Taiwan's artistic freedoms as a keen advantage over the vastly larger <laughs> mainland China creative industry, poking a stab at uh, China's uh, inability to be, you know, creative or free freedom of creativity. What an interesting jab that is. Since our democratization started in the 1980s, we have seen changes throughout society, and that has given a lot of freedom for creativity. So we can tell a lot of different stories, whatever an artist wants. <laughs> oh, oh, ouch, ouch. Very cleverly uh, worded uh, statement from Taiwan's... Um, Dude, the Taiwanese are not, they don't mess around. And, you know, there's just long-term strategic stuff that if you're not paying attention, you don't even notice it, okay? There's very few places on the planet where you can take everything in America, unplug it, and pop it somewhere else on the planet. And Taiwan is one of those places on the planet. Now, why do you think that is? Well, there's, there's a related headline, actually, from ABC News. That and it plays right into what uh, the, this um, agent, the the committee person was implying, and what this just to give you an idea of what she's talking about about the the kind of creativity freedom that uh, uh, content creators have in Taiwan. Here's the headline from ABC News: uh, China bans effeminate men from TV. ABC News. I'm tweeting this out now so that you can see it with your own eyes. It's, it seems kind of unbelievable. But uh, let me continue. It says broadcasters ordered to re resolutely put an end to sissy men and other abnormal aesthetics. And that is a, obviously a translation from Mandarin into English, which is uh, always a challenge to do accurately. Uh, 
words like sissy obviously they didn't say in english sissy men uh, they said something that you know is difficult to translate so it says the party has reduced children's access to online games we've read those headlines recently here now it's down down to three hours per week one hour per night friday saturday and sunday and the and the party's trying to discourage what it sees as an unhealthy ab- attention to celebrities Indeed, we've seen other headlines in the past few days uh, exactly related to that. Broadcasters must now resolutely put an end to sissy men and other abnormal aesthetics, the TV regulator said, using an insulting slang term for effeminate men called nyang pao, or literally girly guns. That reflects official... Nyang pao. Yeah, nyang pao. <laughs> yeah, Cheryl, how would you translate it? Girly guns? Girly guns, yeah. Nyang pao. Yeah, yeah, sissy. Yeah. Just sissy. That reflects official concern that Chinese pop stars, influenced by sleek, girlish look of some South Korean and Japanese singers and actors, are failing to encourage China's young men to be masculine enough. Yes. Broadcasters. It, 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 Evan's right. Well, this, this seems very feminine co- men connected to the birth rate issue that they're trying to very eager to resolve. Broadcasters should avoid promoting vulgar internet celebrities and, and, and admiration of wealth and celebrity, the regulator said. Instead, programs should vigorously promote excellent Chinese traditional culture, revolutionary culture, and advanced socialist culture. Xi's government is also tightening control over the Chinese internet industries. It has launched anti-monopoly, data security, and other enforcement actions at companies including games and social media provider Tencent and e-commerce giant Alibaba Group that the ruling party worries are too big to uh, are too big and independent. And you heard Evan comment that it's about the birth rate, and he may be he might be right because it's true tyler because uh they they have been tracking the testosterone levels as well and that's been dropping uh, through their juicy juicy data they found testosterone levels dropping so they've got to get that back up can you send me a link about that i don't know i've had this conversation before because there's a guy on here that actually had a very provocative name title talking about this and on clubhouse and they still seem to miss the fact that the the birth rate situation is not necessarily tied to men being either more masculine less ma- or less masculine because mm-hmm. that's just it's going to you know just push more toxic max- masculinity on the world the same thing we see in the west it's more about women just have more agency we have more options we don't have to get married if we don't if we do not want to we have contraceptives how so dare you guys we don't have to have children if we don't have to. So instead of like looking at it from that standpoint, they're just going to say, oh, it's because men are girly on TV or men are feminine. I, I don't understand what's why this is the narrative. It's the same thing that's happened in the U.S. with our birth rate. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, just, just quickly, sorry, I wouldn't be surprised if this is tied into the work ethic as well, where we're talking about the whole um, lay down movement and the, the 996, I believe it was, or something like that. I can't remember what it was called. Um, which basically that that whole you know work hard, um, don't worry about mental health, be a man. That whole mentality that drives the a lot of the Chinese uh, sort of econ- economy. If people are becoming more what you know in, in air quotes effeminate and whatnot, and in tune with themselves and their their emotions and that kind of thing, that becomes difficult to push. That mentality. People want breaks. They want holiday. They want mental health um, facilities. That kind of thing. And that's they want conducive. happiness. You just exactly. Yeah. Happiness. Yeah, so it, it, it's about that as well. You're not just about the biology. It's about the, the mental 
um, state of of the country and, and what agenda they yeah, want to they, push. Well, yeah, and, they also and, had an article. I meant to share this with you too. They also had an article blaming the women, saying that it was something to do with self hate because the women aren't marrying men in China; they're actually marrying foreign men. So there, there was actually an article about that, and that's what that clubhouse ring was. Have about. you seen a Chinese dude? I mean, I'm sorry. I know I'm a Chinese dude, so I get to say this, but you know, you're not giving opportunities for women, and that's why women aren't going to you. Uh, yeah. I don't say that. I I've dated guys. Oh no, Chinese men take other stuff. Men are hot. You know yeah, what? Chinese well, no, men take pride. Wait, uh, Chinese men take pride in taking care of their woman, Chris. Okay, well, taking care means what? Uh, I have to take care of the woman. It takes pride in taking care of their woman and the family. So it's why do you need to, to be taken care of? Why do you need to be taken care of? Financially, aren't you? Aren't you? Aren't you? Aren't you, aren't you able? I mean, now you started it. I agree with you. Chris. I complex. Before this turns into a dating show, Chris, I can be taken care of. I do fine. I, I don't know. Attraction and stuff is relative. It's across the board. I think. Well, when a, women, in, when a guy comes in just, with terrible breath and he stinks and he has shitty English and his teeth look like shit, are you gonna date him? That's what I'm saying. Hold on, hold on, hold on. He's, Chris. He's 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 referring to himself. Hang on, Chris. Chris, I think you have a yeah. I think Chris, I think you have a really good point, but maybe maybe uh, slightly not not clarified enough. In, is in like when you were saying, oh, what is taken care of? That's that's exactly the thing. Which is you, you're saying the physical aspect of it. Oh, you know the, the the maybe the the health or the hygiene that kind of thing. But what you're actually talking about is what is the expectation to a relationship within a household? How are the dynamics within the Chinese household changing? Exactly. What, what does that's a Chinese family unit now want? Now the CCP wants a very specific Chinese family unit. They want a unit that is geared towards the the maybe the more traditional working methodologies and the okay. ethics and that kind of thing. And that's Steven. you know that's that, that's being changed by outside cultures. If you have the Chinese um, uh, people looking towards the West and saying, hey, I want a bit of that. I want a bit of that equality. I want a bit of this. I want a bit of that. You know, that media and whatnot. Um, that becomes Hi, difficult Tyler, to control. Tyler, check your Twitter. Okay. Check I, your Twitter. I'm DM. just pinging in David Chang in Beijing, who usually... Yeah, I have to ping in my friend. He's a handsome Chinese man. There you I go. Mean, and... so I... <laughs> But I, I'm really eager to get somebody. Okay, well, I guess it's just, I guess it's because it's, um, I am an American-born Taiwanese, so I have a particular disdain for reds, okay? I'll be very honest. Okay, but I, I want to hear David's take, because uh, he usually has very insightful takes uh, on the on the cultural perspective of things to help us really while, while you're waiting, While you're waiting, while you're waiting for David, Tyler, just, just one uh, biologic underpinning of... Yeah. of uh, um, a false pursuit in China. They're, if they're looking at testosterone levels, they're looking at the wrong thing. Well, no, he, Benet um, confessed be, that he was joking about that. Oh, okay. Because they should be looking at sperm counts because sperm counts across the world are half of what they used to be uh, 30, 40 years ago, largely because of organophosphates that are estrogen mimetic and many other uh, uh, artificial chemicals that are estrogen mimetic. Um, yes. One could argue... One, one could argue that that could be the single most important uh, contribution to world peace, but we'll see. So, so while I might have used testosterone as the wrong example, but China has been promoting masculinity since last year. So I tweeted a couple of articles oh, to Tyler okay. DM. Yeah, just check that out. So okay. this is an article from March. They've been talking about masculinity. Yeah. Okay. For, for I think months. it's also work stress and diet. Okay. So oh, there was... 
criticize. It promotes oh, education. Okay. Here it is from CNN.com. China promotes education drive to make boys more manly. A notice from China's education ministry has caused a stir after it suggested young Chinese men had become too feminine. The message has been criticized as sexist by many online users, but some say China's male celebrities are partly to blame. For a while, China's government has signaled concern that the country's most popular male role models are no longer strong athletic figures like army heroes. Even President Xi Jinping, a well-known football enthusiast, has long been seeking to cultivate better sports stars. So last week, the education the dude ministry... couldn't throw a spiral to save his life. <laughs> so last week, the education That's ministry my task, dude. Is issued, spiral or not? issued a notice that the title that left no doubt about its ultimate goal. The proposal to prevent the feminization of male adolescents called on schools to fully reform their offerings on physical education and strengthen the recruitment of teachers. The text advised recruiting retired athletes and people from sporting backgrounds and vigorously developing particular sports like uh, football with a view to cultivate student masculinity. It is a decisive push in a country where the media does not really allow for anything other than squeaky clean, socially responsible stars. But there were some earlier signs suggesting such a move was coming. Last May, a delegate of China's top advisory body said that many of China's young males had become weak, timid, and self-abasing. There was a trend among young Chinese males towards feminization, he claimed, which would inevitably endanger the survival and development of the Chinese nation. L, <laughs> do, do you think that the... Oh, I just want to say, I just want to say, I pinged in one of my handsome <laughs> Chinese male friends. Yeah. I mean, he, his name is, uh, well, his name on here is Yihei, uh, Yihei but it's down below. So yeah. if you want to... Oh, raise your hand. Man, yeah. He's down I, I, below. I, I just <laughs> read, though, that they hate um, the, that Shang-Chi Shang is the new Marvel movie. So in China, they're super upset by Shang-Chi. For, I guess, two reasons. One is that they think he's not handsome enough. They think it's an insult that Americans will, will cast um, very handsome, what they consider to be very handsome, white and African-American characters, but they think he's not handsome. I'm not very and I guess the other issue is that um, there's some uh, idea that uh, that it's, it's putting forward this idea that everybody from China does martial arts or whatever it's like there's a, a caricature <laughs> there but it's about a martial artist so i'm not stereotyping. sure yeah, yeah but it's, it's about no, i agree with the stereotyping too that's a, that's unfortunate but, we shouldn't okay. be stereotyping we, at all we got to welcome but, yeah, but yao yao overseeing the thing yeah Hi. but they're still overseeing hey yao yao are there yes situation hold on it's not because you? of the feminization of men or the media and stuff it's because yeah, women exactly. have more agency and Likewise. we have more power to do what we want right but that's, that's not what the yeah I, I understand yeah. we we all it's understand your office. your point l the point is that the government has a different perspective the government thinks that the men are too effeminate and that's causing a decline in the birth rate so they're addressing it in the way they think they need to yow yow is that an accurate assessment I would say yes, but I want to share, you know, as a Chinese, I grew up, you know, well, I spent my 20, first 20 years in China, in Beijing, and I can share my story, you know, I grew up with a toxic masculinity in my family, my father, you know, is vibing to me, although I have so much love for him, you know, he, I, I can see that it's prevalent in the Chinese, you know, um, that in that generation, particularly in the 19, born, sorry, people born in the 1960s. They are very masculine. They, you know, rule the house, 
And also, I have to say that you know, it also depends on the region. You know, it's China, China, China is massive. The people, especially from the north part of China, they're very masculine. They dominate, and you cannot um, disobey from them. And otherwise, you get punished in some other ways. I wouldn't say it's every family, but particularly I grew up from the family. That that's you know, I'm talking about. That's what leads to the um, the toxic masculinity. And I think I have to talk about the the social pressure, the peer pressure. I grew up and studying life for 16 hours per day. And, you know, both girls and boys, they face a pressure. I'm going to the uni and I get a good job. That's a weird thing to do. But, you know, from that generation, particularly people are born in 1980. So, I, I mean, you know, we, if, as a girl, we face so much pressure. We become so masculine. We lost our, our femininity. We cannot feel much. And I, I think I can relate that growing up, I can't feel love, or I know that I, I just have to study. I think, you know, you have you talk about society, you really need to look at both and not just about men. You know, we women become so masculine. If you look at the Chinese top companies and top tech companies, there's so many female leaders. There's not much, we don't really see many Me Too um, movement, not until recently. But why there's so many female leaders? I think that it's really to do with, you know, that's the only way we can survive in the society. We have to masculine, be masculine, and then we lost that feminine part. And then what, what it leads, what leads to present, you know, people who are, who are at the age of 30 or 40, we women cannot be feminine. That's how probably leads to we find the feminine man more attractive. I think that's, you know, overall the toxic, toxicity of the feminine, femininity and the masculine that balance, you know, is lost. And then I think what government is doing that is right, it's leading to a balance of the, the both energies, you know, but then if you look at Western world, there's so many spirituality, people talk about that, people are very open talking about it. We don't really see that in China. I think that, you know, many, not many Chinese people read books and they tend to watch lots of social content that is, is entertainment, you know, mm-hmm. and it really is very misleading to this young generation, including my generation. So I think that, you know, there should be more content um, available in Chinese com- uh, community to lead people to find the harmony in life, you know, and also harmony in both um, femininity and masculinity. Yeah, balance. Amen. Ba- yeah. Well said. I want to welcome Rachel Yang to the stage. Welcome, Rachel. It looks like you you, li- you lived in China yourself. Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Yes. Actually, I think that this has something to do with uh, two things. One is the division of work in China. And traditionally, uh, men are perceived to have, you know, to be able to kind of... Uh, to be the male role in the family, if you understand what, what I mean, the male role, right? Um, Can you elaborate though, for them? Because they may not understand. Oh, so it's kind of like what Cheryl said, you know, women need protection. You know, if it's uh, uh, some work, certain kind of work needs labor, you know, needs strength, that's men's job. Versus um, women will look after the household you know, look after the children, cook, something like that. Um, now, which was okay, I think, for, for the longest time until the one-child uh, policy kicks uh, in. Uh-huh. Now, the, the, the men, the, the young men nowadays, the, you know, 20, 30, even 40, they are brought up as single family, a single child in the family. 
they really have been this uh, spoiled uh, little prince. Uh-huh. They and then in the last 10 20 years the Korean pops those idols right BTS they are essentially yeah. yes they are unisex they are not men right and they date women I mean they don't want to get married and they are definitely not the role model for Chinese men ah so the, and, and by the way at least what, so it's yeah. an interesting point because and this is what the article saying is that uh, they want to crack down on effeminate men in media and actors because they worry they're, they're noticing simultaneously that the Korean and Japanese pop stars, who, as you say, are notably and intentionally uh, gender fluid. Uh, and, it's, and it's true here in Thailand as well. It's, it's uh, I think, going across Asia at the moment. And um, the and they are not the men who can hold a family, who that, can that, be the father of children. That's, the, that's, what, that's, that's what, what the state is worried about, that it could lead to. There, there is a notable decline in marriages. And uh, and what lags behind that is a notable decline in uh, children. And that's why they just added the second child policy and the third child policy and reducing the cost of education and reducing the cost of housing. And Raven, do you agree with that opinion, though? Do you think that really is the problem is that men are effeminate and that it could? Yes, nowhere I do be... think. Yes, I think that's part of no the reason. It's possible that women have more agency, that we can no. that women around the world are having their own spring. No, the other thing is to, more for ourselves. Right. The other thing is women don't want to marry those men anymore. The women, like what Yao Yao just said, women are getting stronger. They have better education. They earn much better. Why do they want to have a spoiled baby boy living in the family who cannot be the kind of a male role model, who cannot be the father that the, that the mother wants him to be, who cannot be the husband the woman needs? So why bother? Yeah, yeah, so having a sissy an man controlling relationship—that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think yeah. this on this particular uh, phenomenon, I think this is, I, I think it's universal. As men, as women become more educated and, and well, they tend not to have the urgency to marry. I think this is also part part of what what, what China is experiencing, especially in the the major cities. So th with this too, yes. um, I think the Chinese government is really in a hurry to try to address these issues. Yes, yes, I agree. That's, I think there's one aspect of it, you know, if we just talk about men becoming feminine, I think you would actually see a growing um, number of women decide to choose themselves over family. I think that, you know, this was propaganda, you know, you're going to have married. That, that was my parents' generation. You're going to get married, have children, and that's your destiny. I think people, women nowadays in this generation they started to realize, you know, they got to choose themselves and a woman makes them happy, even though they are so conflicted, facing their, the pressure from their parents, you know, because that's what they believed in. You got to get married and, and have children. That's where your happiness is. And in my generation, like I'm 33, I'm single. I'm a single mom. And I decided to not to get married for the, with the wrong person. And I want, you know, I, I think probably I'm influenced by the Western um, you, the, the culture I live in the UK, but I think that I it, we get to, I, I get to see that you're growing a number of people in in in, in China. They haven't gotten so much influenced by the the Western culture. They're choosing this, the same thing. They choose themselves. And this is a marriage. Marriage doesn't bring them happiness. That's what they're realizing. I think nowadays if we get to see that in global stage and. I, 
we are choosing ourselves, what's our destiny, our vision, you know, that's our path, I think, spiritually speaking. So I think that this is what's happening in, in China, the phenomenon. It's, it's, you cannot just say because of one reason, it's multiple aspects, you have to put them together. So I think there's right, a... But there's... I think the most... Sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, I think that the one of the, the most important uh, reason I think China is doing this is uh, China definitely is lacking a male. So far in the last 10 years, it's all those sissy kind of, uh, you know, but it ultimately, it's many countries' birth rates are declining. Uh, nearly all developed countries' birth rates are declining. And I think it's China's the one that actually feels like they want to proactively try and do something about it. I think there are two things. One is, men yes, all throughout definitely. history, though. There have yeah. been feminine men throughout history. In France, the men wore high heels back in the day. They wore wigs and stuff. That's what it's like. The, 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 all of this is relative, and it's based that's upon feminine, age and your experience. Yeah, yeah, like culture. Men. Nah, yeah, it's culture. It's culture. It's thing. You can't say it's it. Not I think there's also an idealistic factor in it. Because I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, Chinese government... There's a, lot women, there's a lot of people that like BTS. A lot around the world. They like. I mean, I'm not one of them, but there's a lot of people that love BTS, and they love uh, well, who was it? Uh, David Bowie. That's another one. He wore mascara. There was uh, Freddie Mercury. There were, there were so many, and even in China, there were some as well. So, I, wait, I, you you you're disagreeing with yeah, this? You, but I, I what I'm what I'm getting, L, is I think I mean we 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 agree with your points, but it's you're more like the root cause, I'm right? To go with the root you disagree cause. with their assessment that the declining birth rate is due to the uh, men becoming more uh, fluid. But that's fine. You can disagree. But that, but our point is, they're making their decision. Uh, th- that's their decision. And that's why the, the motive of their decision is what we're pointing to. Whether or not they're right or not, yeah, we can debate that. And you, you're making the point that they're, they're mistaken, they're, that they, they're coming right. to a false conclusion. And that's valid. But we're just trying to point out, we're trying to figure out why are they, why are they coming out with a policy to ban effeminate women, from, or men rather, from TV and from films and, it, and and when we're trying to figure out why are they doing it, it seems when you listen to people on the ground, it's because they're worried about the declining marriage rate and the birth rate. Right. And there is one more factor. I'm trying to yeah, find the hot mic. Sorry. I think it's uh, actually the idealism. I mean, China is a communist China and there is a value. Deep, uh, rooted very deep in its um, culture, if you will, which is those sissy type of um, man who has very fluid relationship um, with many women is deemed kind of morally unacceptable. I yeah, think I- this is something I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's part of the reason. Uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I just want to jump in. I mean, I, I agree with Rachel. If you take a look at the CCP and look at the average age of the the, the the top officials, look at look at the era they come from. 
look at that, right? So yeah, they're, they're making eight, policy eight, based on seventy-year-old men making decisions. I mean, they're it's. I mean, exactly. yeah. So there, that that, that uh, now we're in agreement. Now it's like it's not that big of a surprise. Yeah, we're in agreement. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's so seventy-year-old men making things, and they're they're pushing their view of the world onto an entire right. group. That's right. what I say. So it's a big. They're playing women be having more agency and idealism. It's, right. Yeah, that perf- their idea of the perfect man. It's almost like but dealing with Nietzsche. But isn't there an example of a... I think it's bigger than that, truthfully. It's a bit of nationalism. I read article um a while ago, you know, there was an article saying about, looking at back to history, hum, human history, when there is lots of immigrants going entering into a nation, there was only one nationality, and that caused chaos and it caused conflict. I think China cannot proceed... They, they see the future. If the, there's a decline of population, and that means they're going to bring in um, foreign nationality to, to the country so that they can keep up to the economy and also to help the elderly people. That, you know, I think so that it gives them a warning. They see the, the crisis that is coming. That if that happened, if you look at Europe was happening right now, they bring lots of immigrants and actually causing conflicts in France, etc. I think China is afraid of this happening. You know, it's afraid of the history repeating itself. And I think if you look at Japan, what they're doing, they they do not give any um, their nationality to foreign people. They're you know they protect their own nationalism. I think China is doing the same thing. Although if you look at China, there's a 56 um, minority ethnic, we see the harmony. But I think that when you bring a new uh, group of people with different religion, different belief and within the country, that's really hard for, for the government to lead, um, to lead in policy. So, yeah, I think that's, that's the bigger picture that, that you know, we're going to see. We have to okay. see. Okay, we've got to move on to, to other headlines. Totally. Uh, shortest, shortest uh, reflection on this one. There is a guy, or rather was a guy named Hans Rosling, yep. uh, who has a, a very, very uh, intricate view of this with birth rates, marriage, yes. uh, and the whole thing is here. Uh, the thing is here that what China has been doing during our lifetime, everybody in this uh, channel's lifetime, is that they have gone from being the poorest country in the world to becoming um, everyone in China, more or less, bear with me, is now middle class. And if you if you look at the Hans Rosling's uh, factualness and the things he discussed there regarding this with the births rate at higher income, uh, better status, and more education, the birth rates fall like a brick. Uh, we have seen this in country after country. Now, China, who comes from a single child policy, into that, okay, you can have kids again, and uh, the economics and the the uh, the dollar street, which he's called this is the, the uh, scenario, has arrived at the point that the 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 single kid or no kids is actually what they have come to due to the economic status and everything else. You want done. Okay, I DM you an article that uh, male fertility may be attributed to environmental toxins. 
you can check it if you yeah, want. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, just one one thing. I think the Russian Fox study can really demonstrate what's possible here in a system that is communist. You can actually drive both genetic and environmental factors. And I think given the level of control that the communist government in China is trying to exert on the people, I think this is just a, one part of a greater effort, probably. So it's probably a now, bigger picture. Now, the more interesting question is whether or not this is actually also occurring in the West and whether or not our leaders are trying to change our own fertility patterns based upon the models and things we see on TV or certain voices they're promoted or not promoted. But of course, such things would never happen in the West, as we know. The, this is a that, huge debate, Charles, really in the African-American community. This is a huge debate in the African-American community. Is it community. Alonzo? How most, most definitely. Little Nas X being promoted is a hot topic right now. You just jump in these clubhouse rooms and it's a huge debate, but it's one that could be studied, uh, you know, historically uh, that's being combated by the works of uh, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. So uh, she's definitely someone to look up if you even want to what know is the, the what is what, What's the main issue that's being debated? Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, I think everybody knows that advertising and promotion works. Uh, otherwise, companies wouldn't be spending million dollars of millions of dollars of advertising and promoting. But, you know, uh, there's this over promotion right now that some people feel in the community that uh, is causing divisiveness amongst our households, slowing down marriages, etc. In Poland, it's also an issue, and like the Polish government is actually implementing a ton of policies to try to increase the birth rate, including crazy policies like basically making abortion completely illegal, except for in the case of the woman's life being in danger. So like, even from, um, you know, like if you have a, potentially a child with some kind of genetic disease or something, women in Poland are still forced to give birth to those children because of change in policies. But there's also like financial policies. So mm. like every child that is born, like they get um, 500 zloty of our currency uh, each month per kid. So like if you have more children, you actually don't have to work, which is actually creating this crazy situation in the workforce, which I can see when I'm trying to hire people that they just don't want to work because they can have kids and they can you know not do anything um so like i can definitely see it in my country too mm. yeah in canada hey, this the problem like exists okay, with I children am. being basically a rebate for income it's a big problem here in canada yeah well, is i it would a say as a single mom problem I mean, or is I it or is kids it a and it is a big i mean the problem is economically it's expensive to have a kid in this day and age i mean i was able to do it don't tell, let me tell you it was not without struggle to raise two boys one's in college and one is on well one just finished college and and i have one more to go so it's economically uh, not sound to have kids in this day and age. That's part of it. And again, the social thing as well. So if we make it easier for families to happen or people to have children, regardless if you're a single mom, a single dad, or having both parents in the household, if we made it easier for those different lifestyles to exist, maybe the birth rate would increase and maybe stop stifling women and their choices in life as well. That would stop it. And maybe, you know, give, give everyone a little bit more agency. That's why, uh, you know, I guess this discussion, cause I've kind of lived this, 
that, you know, we, we're not looking at the root cause and maybe that's the project manager in me, but we need to do a root cause analysis. And that's what it, what it is. Okay, and, that... and especially our other innate biases too, on what the uh, black uh, or African-American household should look like or the Chinese household should look like. We're no longer living in the 20s, the 1800s or in the BC era where we need hunter gatherers, someone to go fight for everything. Security looks different from, for everybody in every country now. Everything has changed and we have to either roll with the change or be bulldozed by it. I'm Ellen, I'm speaking. Uh, I would just say um, in the US, and this is an extremely difficult thing to talk about, obviously, um, but those of us who've invested in vitro fertilization startups, you know, have realized over time that there is this sort of phenomenon that's taking place where people are delaying having children much longer. And of course, they're relying on things like uh, egg freezing, which is a service that a lot of, um, I guess, shall we say, socially progressive or maybe like corporatist companies like Google and others are offering as services. And I think a lot of women, particularly those who are more career inclined, are not oftentimes told the truth about their own fertility and this sort of belief that they can have children at any age. And that's, of course, just not true. And then, of course, you have the other issue, too, of just the cost of education, particularly when it comes, to, you know, comes to things like child child formation. I mean, a lot of women now who are highly intelligent, you know, they will go and they'll get PhDs or they'll get, you know, advanced degrees. And then they delay sort of the years in which they can become, you know, mothers. And so that this is having a very interesting effect on the birth rate in the U.S., particularly among the upper income or, 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 or even in the higher IQ distribution. So I do think, I do think um, there's a lot of these things that you're not allowed to talk about in the U.S. and you, you'll be canceled if you talk about them. But I do think there's an interesting study, um, and I know uh, there's some other folks who are genetically, genetically inclined, but there's the Abdul Al-Alawi study that he did you know, recently. And there have been a number of studies about homosexuality and the genetic underpinnings of it. Um, and we should note that like, that, that what's interesting about it is that family members of people who sort of identify as same-sex attraction, they tend to show a much more willingness to have lots of sex. And so, which suggests that it could be somewhat genetic. And so there's sort of interesting questions here that we, we're just beginning to, answer, to, to look into and answer. And of course, there's a lot of um, politics around even beginning to even ask these questions in a serious way. And of course, there's also people who want to use the wealthy Western nations uh, as basically places to send their populations that aren't necessarily integrating. I mean, you could look at the former Soviet Union sending a lot of refusenik uh, you know, types uh, and, and sort of population transfers from Cuba, from other countries, and they use sort of migration as a, as a political tool. And I think we, we need to be sort of open to that as well. Right. I, so it's last word can I have just David yeah okay sorry no Yao man so many great lenses on these right Yao you brought up a really great point I think the problem one of the problems China's trying to solve is that silver wave that's crashing you know the, the age the, the the middle age and older and and this is not necessarily the right way to solve that problem um, you know, this whole ethnocentrism is still the problem. We are absolutely, we haven't evolved at all on that context. Um, so so it, it, being willing and being wise enough to, to uh, facilitate immigration and get them educated to help support the tax base, it's kind of simple math, but our ethnocentrism gets in the way. And Charles, 
you know, the, I, I, I understand why as a single person, because I was a single person for 41 years, you know, the idea as I've thought more and more about some of these really interesting conversations. Yeah, get it, you get a lot of information from the genetics um, with regards to the, the, the downside health issues and then potentially some of the upside in terms of IQ and things. But let me tell you something. Once you have a kid, you know, get, most of your life is as a parent. Right. So, you know, if you can have a test, you know, to me, it's kind of like just people learning more about how good of a parent the other person is going to be is 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 really at least as powerful as just, uh, you know, some of these other things that, that people can try to seek okay. with some of those other tests. Thank you. I, I want to. Yeah, I'll go ahead, Cheryl, and then I'll give my last thought. Okay, uh, I just suddenly have an idea. Let's see whether it's coming soon because they want the men to be more masculine. There's a possibility that they may mandate two years military service for men because of the aging population. Ah, interesting. I, my thought is China is particularly interested in this because their success over the past 30 ish years is based on manual physical labor. Uh, Japan isn't as. You know, the countries that are in the knowledge economy, that are knowledge workers, aren't as eager to uh, aren't aren't in a precarious position to replace the physical working bodies that China has. You know, a lot of what its success is built on physical manual labor of producing in factories and somebody's going to have to fill those seats. Um, And I think they see that as as a as a very existential economic issue that other countries aren't as uh, forced to grapple with uh, in the short and term. national security in the long run. Yeah. Well, they perceive it that way. Yeah. So, well, uh, you can see, you can see this one, one final point on the Chinese front is that among their higher IQ populations or their more successful populations, particularly among their women, there are all sorts of generous state subsidies for them to do IVF. And so there've been a number of friends of mine who are IVF doctors who, you know, they, they will basically, you know, because of the one child policy, there are a lot of women who uh, who have frozen their eggs or who've hoped that one day they might be able to have a second child. And the state is actually making it easier for those women to have children, which which raises, you know, which is also, of course, boosting the birth rate. And you can see this also with China and China's willingness to sort of call back, um, you know, American born Chinese or others sort of the Chinese diaspora to be sort of more of a part of the, the sort of a larger Chinese empire. Um, I think it's very interesting stuff. And of course, you can't really talk about it in the U.S. Okay, so the next headline, this one just came out from the Washington Post, says misinformation on Facebook got six times more clicks than factual news during the 2020 election. Study says right-leaning pages also produced more misinformation, the forthcoming study says. A new study on user behavior on Facebook around the 2020 election is likely to bolster critics' long-standing arguments that the company's algorithms fuel the spread of misinformation over more trusty words, uh, more trustworthy sources. The forthcoming peer-reviewed study by researchers at NYU and the University of Grenoble Alps in France has found that from August 2020 to July, January 2021, news publishers known for putting out misinformation got six times the amount of likes, shares, and interactions on, on Facebook, as did trustworthy news sources like CNN or the World Health Organization. Ever since fake news on Facebook became a public concern following the 2016 presidential presidential election, publishers who traffic in misinformation have been repeatedly shown to be able to gain more 
major audiences on the platform. But the NYU study is the one of the few comprehensive attempts to measure and isolate the misinformation effect across a wide group of publishers on Facebook, experts said. And its conclusions support the criticism that Facebook's platform rewards publishers that put out misleading information. The study helps to, quote unquote, helps add to the growing body of evidence that despite a variety of mitigation efforts, misinformation had found a comfortable home and an engaged audience on Facebook, said Rebecca Trumbull, director of the Institute for Data Democracy and Politics at George Washington University, who reviewed the study's findings. In response, Facebook said that the report measured the number of people who engaged with content, but that it, it is not a measure of the number of people that actually view it. Facebook does not make the la- does not make the latter number, those who view it, called impressions, publicly available to researchers, although they just did about 48 hours ago or three days ago, uh, to combat this study before it even comes out, actually. Uh, Here's the quote. This report looks mostly at how people engage with content, which should not be confused with how many people actually see it on Facebook, said Facebook spokesperson Joe Osborne. When you look at the content that gets the most reach across Facebook and visibility, it not uh, it is not at all like what this study suggests he added although joe it turns out you're factually wrong joe (laughs) because what you're referring to is the quarter two report that facebook just put out about three days ago showing the most viewed content on facebook which is very different from the most engaged content on facebook and this research from NYU and University Global uh, of Grenoble, Alps and France, says that the most engaged content is very far right leaning. And it is. That's just a mathematical fact. Facebook doesn't deny it. What, they're sa- what Facebook's response is, is, ah, this report looks mostly at how people engage with content, which should be not confused with how, pe- how many people actually see it on Facebook. Right. They're not confusing that. They understand this is not a measure of the most seen content. Most seen content doesn't really matter. That's your algorithm, what you're showing people. What they're interested in is what people are engaging with. That's what the report's about. They're not confusing it. You don't need to tell them that they're confusing it. They're not. Again, let me read it. This report looks mostly at how people engage with content, which should not be confused with people with how many people actually see it on Facebook. Yeah, you're right. And nobody does confuse that. Adults understand those are two totally separate things. When you look at the content that gets most of the reach on Facebook, it's not what the study suggests. Right. And they're not saying it is. (laughs) So stop putting words in their mouth. They're not saying that this is the most viewed content. They're saying this is the most engaged content. So you're clearly defensive. And more important. More importantly, it has now been proven that you're factually wrong, Joe, from Facebook, because your Q2 report just came out showing the most viewed content on Facebook. And Joe, you're right. For Q2, the three months of April, May, and June, the most viewed content on Facebook was published and made available to precisely to combat and uh, diffuse and dispute this report. And it turns out he's right that the most viewed content is not far light reading content. It's totally stupid cat cats walking on piano videos content. It's not even political at all. However, that led many researchers to wonder, what does the Q1 report look like that you never really released? And in fact, intentionally tried to bury. Oh, shit. Turns out that the most viewed content article in all of 2000, Q1 of 2021, January, February, March, was in fact a far light, far right leaning article about how a doctor died as a result of taking COVID vaccine. So, Joe, it turns out you're dead wrong. 
your most viewed content is far right, far right misinformation content. And you tried to bury it. You tried to hide it. Ooh, Facebook, what are we going to do with you? Tyler, I have a question. <laughs> if anybody knows the answer, is Facebook charging? I guess it depends on how you you choose your ads and how you what contract. But you know if they're charging um, advertising based just sometimes on the number of users, whether people even turn on their account or not, because a lot of people you know are using, including me. We I just don't use Facebook as much as I you know as I often do. May not even look at it. But are they counting me as a user and then charging some? people you know some advertisers for you know landing an impression on a page that no one's even viewing or just charging somebody because that you know they're technically a subscriber because well nobody actually pays for a subscription so you have a facebook account so they charge you and is that part of their advertising revenues so so i can i can answer a little bit of that i've used facebook for advertising i used to use facebook so they have a base fee which is supposedly based on the number of uh, users, but then they have this dynamic pricing model, which is based on the number of click-throughs, the number of views, et cetera. It's a sort of a tiered model when the base is pretty low. So it, it does account for uh, not every subscriber actually even logging in. But uh, if you get over X number of impressions or hits or, or click-throughs through your ad, you get hit with a higher fee. Thank you. That's helpful. And Ken, I, I was advising a, a cybersecurity firm fistful of years ago. And back then, there were studies still coming out that were saying that upwards of 25, 30% of all online traffic is all bot, bot, bot powered. And so the ads, a whole lot of, uh, a lot of the ads that were being uh, monetized by these online uh, advertising companies was just all. Uh, you know, due to bots, due to bot traffic. So, yeah. so there's uh, there there was a big problem then. There's probably still a problem because people use uh, the Google Captcha stuff. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, no, well and for not being worth the yeah. Yeah, sorry, David. Uh, sorry to uh, interrupt, but you're absolutely correct. That's why I actually stopped using Facebook because I got hit one month with a huge bill because they said you have a huge number of uh, you know, click-throughs on your ad. And I wasn't, when I asked for more details, they just said the number of users and geographies, they weren't able to give me any more data. So I had no clue how many of them were just bots that they yeah, were using. Facebook has my, this, I, mean, I would just say that, that there have been tactical uses of bots to actually destroy people's ad budgets. So, um, and Facebook has been well aware of this and they've been slow to act on it. I mean, look, they're really hated by the US intelligence services. And that's something that's going to like start coming out more and more. The first will be the ad fraud attack. And then, of course, there's all these elections that are about to take place in Europe coming up in Germany and France. And, of course, other countries have an interest in sort of affecting the election outcomes. And Facebook has not always been, you know, super helpful. And for those who are you know, curious about this, there's there's some really good books uh, about this, uh, you know, that come out recently. I think I forget the name of the one. It's by Kang. It's the um, the New York Times reporter named Kang. Uh, that's that's really really good on this. That just came out. And so I would just say, in general, 
to those who are very interested in the Facebook fraud story, the bit, the only real solution to the advertising fraud and sort of the use of it by foreign actors is to actually have real identity online. And yeah. there's, there's one company that's doing that right now as it tries to tr crack down on child sexual abuse imagery, which is, of course, Apple, right? And, and increasingly in the U.S., different states now are allowing it, allowing you to actually have your ID on your phone, right? Which is, of course, you know, another sort of vehicle. And increasingly, you're seeing companies like Amazon and other sort of stand-up genetics operations, which is more information about yourself. And of course, you're seeing the use of facial recognition everywhere, not to harp on a, on a point. But basically, what's happening is real identity is, is moving away from Facebook's business model as being effective. And you saw the other day, the, the Mercers um, just got hit with a massive tax bill to the tune of like, you know, but, you know, several billion dollars, one of the largest tax bills in history. And, you know, Rebecca Mercer was a backer of Cambridge Analytica, which, of course, has all sorts of interesting connections with the Russians, with, with Russian intelligence. Um, and you're seeing Parler, of course, not, not being allowed to use Amazon. So these things are um, they're very interesting, like when you really dig in on them and see, like, which countries are doing what with which platforms. And Facebook just doesn't want to actually play ball. So they're going to be shut down over time, whether it's through litigation or, or through government action. Okay, a new headline just came in from Bloomberg that only humans, not AI machines, can get a U.S. patent, a judge has ruled. Federal judge says AI cannot, can't be listed as an inventor on patents. Case is first U.S. ruling in global dispute over AI inventions. A computer using AI can't be listed as an investor on a patent because only a human can be an inventor US, under U.S. law. A federal judge ruled in the first American decision that's part of a global debate over how to handle computer-created innovations. The federal law requires that an individual, quote-unquote, take an oath that he or she is the inventor on a patent application in both the direct di di the dictionary and legal definition of an individual is a natural person, ruled the U.S. District Judge uh, Leoni Brinkema in Alexandria, Virginia. So she busted out a dictionary to settle this one. The AI project run by University of Surrey law professor Ryan Abbott has launched a global effort to get a computer listed as an inventor. Abbott's team enlisted Imagination Engines, Inc., founder Stephen Thaler to build a machine whose main purpose was to invent rulings in South Africa and Australia have favored his argument, though the Australian patent office is appealing the decision in that country. Here's the quote. We respectfully disagree with the judgment and plan to appeal it. Abbott said in an email, we believe listing an AI as an inventor is consistent with both the language and purpose of the Patent Act. The judge cited cases in which the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, the nation's top patent court, rejected the idea of a corporation being an inventor. Here's the quote. The unequivocal statements from the Federal Circuit that inventors must be natural persons and only natural persons can be inventors supports the plain meaning of individual in the Patent Act, the judge ruled. AIs use a machine to perform steps that mimic the work of a human mind, but with lightning speed and promises to transform everything from drug discovery to autonomous cars. Thaler created a creativity machine called DABUS that in, quote unquote invented a, invented a beverage container and a device for attracting enhanced attention Abbott and his team filed applications in 17 jurisdictions around the world listing his DABUS as the inventor. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office rejected the applications for failure to list a person as an inventor, and Thaler appealed the district court. 
The agency had gathered input from a range of companies and individuals on how to address AI both as an invention and a potential investor inventor and is seeking comment on how patent eligibility affects investment. So the big driving sorry. So the oh. big driving factor on this, at least you know, from a startup perspective, is if you have multiple inventors named on a patent. All inventors have to uh, align in order for you to do anything with that patent, um, whether you're going to assign it to another company, another human being or what. And so I think maybe the issue is, is if the AI is named on the patent, they also have to have agency on whether or not they're going to allow what happens to the patent downstream. And so I think because the device doesn't have agency, how can it actually make that decision on whether or not to grant or, I'm sorry, whether or not to assign a, a intellectual property rights to a third party? And, and then the second part is, you know, there's no taxes that an AI can pay on the royalties from a patent. And I think when you look at it, our system is really predicated on whoever is paying taxes, whoever, you know, has something tied to them, um, that's really the definition of, uh, of what the government defines as a person, at least in this case. But Chris, Chris there, you can programmatically add those two very easily to, to, a, to a body of code, right? So uh, the, the, the issue as I see it is we have AI personhood now, and that is huge if, if, it, if this goes through. Because that that given given rights to AI as a as a person, that's going to be very far reaching. So, so that um, was my point, though: is does the AI get taxed? What that tax you could you could write a program to just you could write a program to to manage paying a tax based on some some little that's a much simpler algorithm probably than the AI itself, right? We can no, look forward. I, the tax thing really helps define you know what makes personhood. You know, I mean, if the AI goes and generates revenue, um, you're taking tax from people that are making and paying into the tax system, right? And I, right. And I mean, like, I mean, I mean, but that's why they've made corporations, you know, taxpaying entities. And I'll shut up. This is not complicated uh, to understand, which is that smaller countries that that essentially don't have as large of an entrepreneurial base want to patent lots of things. And so they're inclined to use AI to basically boost the number of patents that they might be able to file with the U.S. patent system. And so essentially, I mean, this was in Alexandria, Virginia, which is like there's not many more deep statey places than Alexandria, Virginia. And this was, of course, done to make people responsible for the creations that they actually make. Because you can't be like, oh, well, the AI did it. It wasn't my call. You know, that that's sort of that's sort of the issue here. And um, I think it was the right decision by the courts. Um, although, of course, increasingly people aren't even using the patent system because everybody knows that the Chinese sit and watch the patent system like, um, you know, like basically a hawk. OK, next. Well, oh, go ahead. Eh, ben. Never mind. I was going to come on. Yeah. I mean, this issue has been discussed uh, for a while. Uh, actually, to, 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 to think about this, um, you know, the monkey typing on the typewriter to generate a war and peace, that sort of a discussion we've had uh, in the years past. I think what's interesting about the AI is that uh, whether AI algorithms can actually generate things that are really completely unexpected from the original uh, uh, software program that programmed the AI. Um, I don't know the exact facts of this particular whatever the case that's been uh, decided by the Federal Circuit. Uh, but it would be even more interesting uh, if AI technology, you know, with all machine learning, with uh, 
sufficient data set that can generate uh, in, uh, sort of outcome that is so unexpected. So the courts would have to find a way to link uh, the sort of out, out the unexpected invention, if you will, back to the AI's human creator. I think that's actually the what the court says now, uh, which is which is fine. You know, I mean, obviously the the code can do something by itself, and that's really not surprising. But I think it may be a degree of of um, I mean, it sounds like it's it maybe it's a qualitative, but it could be quantitative. Um, the other thing that I wanted to see is whether other countries um, are, are going to be doing uh, deciding on this, how they're going to be deciding on this case, because patent laws are, you know, it's man, it's a man-made laws. It's it's really just each country need to get a patent in that particular country. So uh, I would be expecting to see something new from other jurisdictions on the same issue. Okay, so the next article is. Um... From the New York Times, and the headline simply reads, and Dr. Fran sent this one in, I'm just tweeting it out now to the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. The headline from the New York Times is, Bitcoin uses more electricity than many countries. How is that possible? (laughs) As the New York Times turns itself into BuzzFeed and the Huffington Post. The most popular cryptocurrency wastes energy by design. Why is that? And could it ever be greener? New York Times, what the fuck happened to you? That is, that you. Those are the headlines that you leave to, uh, you know, shit publications. We expect far better of you than to debase yourself and write really stupid headlines like that. What are you doing? This is very concerning. So um, it goes on to talk about Bitcoin, and. I'm I'm really confused why the New York Times even wrote a headline like that. Are there is this some kind of? Pit? It's just literally like it, it's a quota. It's like I need 15 hit pieces. You know, uh, show me the receipts. I'm just going to read the headline and not into it. This is just really weird. Well, it's not. It's not unlike the previous story about patents, right? Which is the patent system is the is the crown jewel of America, um, and increasingly, you know, people don't want the dollar to be its hegemony to be challenged in a serious way. And so basically you can write anything you want about cryptocurrencies so long as it's critical of them because nobody will really check it all that much. It's a weird one. I, um, that's just not a typical New York Times headline. Anyway, so the next one is from the BBC. Um, China linked to takeover of Italian drone plant. Six people are reported to prosecutors over the takeover, which police say broke arms laws. Six managers of an Italian company that makes military-grade drones for NATO have been reported to prosecutors after lengthy investigation by financial crimes police. Tax police said the takeover of the unnamed company in the northeast Italy had broken arms laws. Investigators said a firm based in Hong Kong had bought a majority stake in the drone company at 90 times its value. (laughs) Say what? But the real buyer, they said, was two state-owned companies in China. They alleged a complex and opaque web of corporate holdings had been used to cover up the true identity of the new owner of 75% of the company. The Financial Crimes Unit also suspects the 2018 deal may have broken Italian quote-unquote, golden power rules that bar or limit the sales of strategic assets to foreign investors. 
The laws cover the sale of defense and national security as well as infrastructure, and the uh, the Italian-based firm is subject to special checks because it supplies the Italian mil- military, as well as as well as drones. The company made aircraft and space vehicles. Six of the company's managers, three Chinese and three Italian, have been reported to prosecutors for their role in the sale, which estimated seventy-five percent of the firm at almost uh, four million euros, rather than at the forty-five thousand euro value of the shares at the time. Lawyers for the company firmly denied that there had been any infringement of Italian law, both on the transfer of strategic technical assets outside of Italy, as well as the golden power sale rules. They said that the sale had been transparent in terms of the company's value and tax legislation. Police said the firm was in the process of moving drone production to the eastern Chinese technology hub of Wuji, 80 miles west of Shanghai. They alleged the buyout of 75% of the company had no investment purpose other than the acquisition and subsequent transfer of its technological and manufacturing know-how to China. The Chinese and the Italian team were operating in both countries, police said. A military drone was exported to trade fair in Shanghai in 2019 while being described in Italian customs documents as a radio-controlled model plane. They added, oh, as a radio-controlled model plane. I see. The Italian firm's lawyers said they were bewildered that the inquiry had been made public and accused tax police of prematurely releasing details in an appropriate manner. The drone maker has already been investigated by tax police on suspicion of violating an arms embargo on selling drones to Iran. Oh, love! <laughs> what a lovely little company you have there, Giuseppe. A- ANSA News Agency there reports. There would never be a corrupt company from Italy doing shady things financially with the Chinese and the Iranians and others, Tyler. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, uh, Pinocchio comes to mind. The company said earlier this year it would be able to show it had complied with the law. It's a remote control airplane. Come on. What do you mean? And then doesn't doesn't this story sound very familiar to a certain lighting company? (laughs) Yes, I was thinking the same, Chris. I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, and that and those lights are very light. They can be put on drones. I'm just saying. Wild, and the this drone. There's a photo of it that I just twatted on Twitter. The article's only uh, came out today, 21 hours ago from BBC. The drone has a very, very, very wide um, wingspan, so it looks like it would be a very slow glider. Interestingly. Maximum contact time. <laughs> Very concerning. And the Hong Kong thing was also interesting because your friend's company was also in a similar situation, like a Hong Kong kind of face. Very strange. Okay. For those who don't know what we're, we are referring to, Chris is familiar with a company that we have the receipts on that was sold. It was an American company based out of California. Uh, a personal friend of his that he went to school with that, well, like we can't say friend. And it so that was then sold to a Hong Kong ish company, a uh, Chinese company that then after acquiring it, uh, dissolved it, fired the Americans involved uh, to their own confusion. And then that technology could be used to uh, execute Havana, syndrome like scenarios and then the 
the main uh, creator of the company, after the selling of the company, mysteriously died in a in a plane crash by himself. Uh, and it's it's very and then and then and then to take it a step further, that same company, the same nuts and bolts, are now working on um, brain tumor. Uh, ablation basically using radios to kill brain tumors uh using the exact same technology so uh, whether it's very close to you or very far from you it's very possible that this technology can affect your brain so because i don't know there's quite a investigation the fbi is reportedly very eagerly and they've even created a budget committed to solving what exactly is causing the havana syndrome that people are experiencing most recently in singapore by some of the diplomats that were part of the entourage of Vice President Harris last week in her visit to Singapore. And moments after, she made a a big PR event claiming uh, after the the meeting with Singapore's leadership, she did a press event uh, immediately following the meeting where she announced her intentions of why, you know, the reason for the meeting and her reason for meeting everyone in the, in the Southeast Asian region where she was meeting with Vietnam and others was to unify the region against China and that China can no longer be an aggressor to its neighbors in the South China Sea. And then moments later, two members of her entourage were hit with Havana syndrome. So uh, very peculiar indeed. And this drone um, is also very peculiar indeed, the Italian company. So the next headline from Tomoko out of Japan, uh, and this article is from Reuters. The headline reads, Apple must face Siri voice assistant privacy lawsuit, according to a U.S. judge. A federal judge on Thursday said Apple must face nearly all of the proposed class action lawsuit claiming it that its voice-activated Siri assistant violates user something, user privacy, user what? Where is it? Uh, Users' privacy. Uh Uh-oh. U.S. District Judge Jeffrey White said the plaintiffs could try to, the class action lawsuit, could try to prove Siri routinely recorded their private conversations because of accidental activations. Yeah, it's it's just an accident that Siri's listening to you guys. Come on. This is purely a technical accident. You know, just like how Facebook deleted a thousand Facebook posts from the Capitol rioters, you know? The thousand posts that would show that Facebook was an an accomplice to the riots, you know, an accessory, you know, to uh, and, you know, it was, as Facebook said, when confronted yesterday by political, my friend Mark Scott at Politico, Facebook said that was just an accident. It was a technical error. Give us a break, guys. We're busy over here. And now. Hey, Tyler. Yeah. Go ahead and finish, then I will circle back to the last issue just for one point. Just Well, Apple's saying, guys, we we understand that Siri's listening to your conversations. It's an accident. It's a technical error. It's a technical accidental activations that just see, that they just seem to keep happening again and again. And it's not just Siri. It's also Google Assistant and, and Alexa. These things just keep accidentally turning themselves on and listening to you. We, we don't know what's going on. Maybe these AIs are just, you know, really bored. And they just they just really want to know what you're talking about. These accidental activations and that Apple disclosed these conversations to third parties, such as advertisers. And I'm sure that now that's not really a, a technical accident. That's more of a stupid accident. It's a different type of accident. You see, it turned the microphone on 
in your house. That's that was an accidental technical accident. And then us sharing that those audio recordings to third parties, such as advertisers, that was a stupidity accident. That's a whole different type of accident. That's just sheer stupidity. But but an accident. Hey Tyler, I missed I missed the beginning. Are they alleging that Siri turned on when people didn't when they had it um, disabled or turned yes. off, or is it because class action suit? Yeah. Okay. And 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 Apple saying it's an accidental activation, and that Apple disclosed those conversations <laughs> to third parties such as advertisers. Voice assistants typically react when mobile device owners use hot words such as "Hey Siri." Uh, once. Go ahead and shut up, Siri. Uh, one Siri user said his private discussions with his doctor about a brand name surgical treatment caused him to receive targeted ads for that treatment, while two others said their discussions about Air Jordan sneakers, Pit Viper sunglasses, and Olive Garden caused them to receive ads for those products. And you probably will too now, now that I've said those words here and the Siri's listening in, into your conversation now. So one Siri user said, uh, Oh, Apple faults plaintiffs for not alleging the contents of their communications, but the private setting alone is, is enough to show a reasonable expectation of privacy. The judge wrote, the Oakland, California-based judge said that the plaintiffs may pursue claims that Apple violated the Federal Wiretap Act and California privacy law and committed breach of contract. He dismissed an unfair competition claim. Apple, based in Cupertino, California, did not immediately respond to requests for comment. Lawyers for the plaintiffs did not immediately respond to similar requests. On July 1, another federal court judge in California said users of Google Voice Assistant represented by the same law firms as the Apple case could pursue a similar suit against Google and its parents, Alphabet. Amazon has faced similar legislation over Alexa voice assistant. It's all accidents, guys. It's just technical accidents. These little voice agents are just turning themselves on. We have nothing to do with it. I swear to God, it's just a technical, freaky little accident. It just keeps happening. And we keep giving that information to advertisers on accident. Guys, these are accidents. I'm so sorry. Please forgive us. We're stupid. What can we say? Sorry about that. It's beta software, right? <laughs> and we keep accidentally cashing those checks from those advertisers. I'm sorry. G Gmail did that shit for years, but, you know, or Google did with Gmail for years and years. I, don't, I can't even, how many years did they do, you know, the beta labeling? But series beta. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, but you're also making... So probably all data collected by Siri is allowed to go to advertisers. So that's not the accident. I mean, that's just the natural flow path, right? The accident is that it's collecting more data than it should because it's turning on when it shouldn't. Um, and yeah, that's uh, definitely like a vulnerability or a glitch versus a, an actual feature. Um, but also people should really check their devices because these these settings can be buried. And, and come up in different ways. And so check your privacy-settings and make sure you've got it disabled everywhere. Uh, I think yeah, given, there's a particular given, setting. Sorry, go ahead, Carl. I'm just going to say, given the amount of people using Siri, the millions and millions, hundreds of millions of requests, you know, every, every week or every period of X hours, um, you're going to have situations just by the sheer numbers, by the probability of where activates accidentally so i don't think there's much that can be done about that i mean you can devices and whatnot your voice to improve improve the sort of the matching the analytics amazon quite likes uh, in their home kits 
uh, in their home devices, um, likes knowing exactly who's speaking in the household, whether it's the father or the mother, and then it, you know, um, personalizes it. So, but I think with, when you've got, you know, hundreds of millions of these um, events happening, it's going to happen. You, you just cannot get rid of, you cannot make the system perfect. It's, it's just absolutely impossible to make it perfect. Um, the problem is it's, it's being sent to advertising. I mean, that's, that's it right there. It's a product you already pay for. Why is it going to advertise? Okay, next headline here. Oh, by the way, before I go to the next headline, uh, Chris, what was somebody are asking me in the DMs? What's the name of the microwave company? Eric is asking. You can DM him anyway. So Faraz sends in this one that Waymo, which is Google's autonomous car uh, initiative, which just started testing in San Francisco, uh, reveals the big autonomous trucking hub it's building in Dallas. Alphabet subsidiary Waymo has revealed a concept image showing the massive autonomous trucking hub it's building in the Dallas-Fort Worth region of Texas. Well, you know what? Let's go ahead and open that one and find out how many vehicles... What, this is for Alphabet subsidiary Waymo's revealed the renderings. In addition to the architecture, the company has also revealed some details about the planned facility, including that it will span nine acres and be able to accommodate hundreds of big trucks. The new Texas-based hub will be part of Waymo's company's autonomous trucking division. In an, in an announcement on August 18th, the company shared a simple architecture render of the planned facility, one that shows a sleek, modern whoever, what, who cares. Waymo explains that its future Dallas-Fort Worth trucking hub will serve as its main operation center in the state of Texas, at least when it comes to the commercial use of its partners. As such, this hub will be able to facilitate hundreds of big trucks used for transporting goods. The company explains that the hub will be able to accommodate its needs to scale up Texas over time. Upcoming trucking hub will also prove useful for supporting these trucks during long-haul routes. Okay, got it. Thank you. Next one is from Lucast uh, from The Guardian in the UK that the Canadian gentleman who has been jailed in China accused of taking military photos Reports in state media give rare details of allegations against Michael Spaver and his compatriot, Michael Coving. And this was a big news about two weeks ago when Canada was in the final hours of deliberating if they were going to extradite Huawei's CFO to America. And within that same 24-hour window, China... Uh, jails uh a canadian two canadians separately chinese state one is life sentence uh life's uh, no, death sentence yeah one was given a death sentence chinese state media have accused the jailed ca canadian michael spaver of s supplying photographs of mil military equipment to michael kovrig in repeated acts of espionage offering rare details of the allegations against the two men. The two men were arrested in December 2018, just days after Canadian officials arrested the Chinese executive. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Uh, just days after the C Canadian officials arrested Chinese executive Meng uh, Wangzhou, who's the CFO of Xiaomi. So this Canadian guy was arrested just right after Canada arrests the Huawei CFO, and then when the two years later, meaning now, when Canada's deciding to hand this uh, Huawei CFO over to America, 
because they want her to press charges on her. Right as the Canadian court is making that decision two years later, now, today, uh, China uh, is now saying that he's a spy. They've been holding him for two years without any charges against him whatsoever. And now that the court cases have concluding on on the Huawei CFO, now simultaneously uh, this guy who was arrested at the same time is now also being uh, now charged with espionage now that it looks like she'll be sent to the U.S., uh, making it just a painfully obvious uh, kind of um, tit-for-tat scenario. Last month, or, or, or the world's most wild coincidence. I would say that the uh, in general, historically, we haven't prosecuted people for those kind of financial crimes. It's usually involved a penalty, some sort of, oh, here, you're agreeing to pay this much, and it's a slap on the wrist. Whereas in this case, because the 5G race is so, I guess, uh, competitive and there's a lot on the line, I think the stakes were raised, and it was an odd thing for them to engage in that kind of detention in the first place. So... If uh, if we're kind of changing the rules, I think them changing the rules is, you know, all 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 fair in terms of these kind of games. Yeah. Well, it wasn't it wasn't about 5G. It was about Iranian sanctions that Huawei uh, basically skirted and sold directly to the Iranian regime. So, and she was going to be indicted. So not she would have a you know her day in court. Last month, the Canadian guy, Spaver, who lived in China and arranged tours to North Korea, was sentenced to 11 years in prison for and deportation from China, covering uh, the person he apparently sent these photos to. A former diplomat turned analyst for the International Crisis Group was also tried in secret in March. Kovring is yet to have his verdict or sentence announced. On Thursday, China state-backed tabloid The Global Times accused Spaver of being a key informant for Kovring, who is accused but not yet convicted of espionage, citing an anonymous source. It said Spaver took photographs and videos of military equipment, which it deemed second-tier state secrets and illegally providing some of those photos to people outside of China to Kovring. The Global Times report claimed Kovrig entered China in 2017 and 2018 under the guise of businessman and false pretext of commerce to gather large amounts of undisclosed intelligence and second-tier state secrets relating to China's national security and, uh, and wrote reports. Both men maintain their innocence of the charges, but China's justice system is widely criticized for lacking transparency and judicial fairness and reports conviction rates of 99.9%. The anonymous, the anonymous claims of the Global Times are some of the only details of the espionage accusations against the men whose cases have been shrouded in secrecy from the detection conditions through to closed-door trials and lack of sentencing documents. The report was first published in the Global Times English language arm and was later followed by Chinese language outlets. Sophie Richardson, the China Director of Human Rights Watch, said the English only report gave the sense it was it had been written for a foreign, particularly Canadian consumption to buttress the idea that there was an actual credible legal basis for the case. Let's be clear, she said, even if the so-called evidence offered in this article was accurate, the facts remain that the violations in both cases regarding the right to fair trial are shocking and egregious. Canada and other governments have labeled the long-running cases against the men as arbitrary detention, lacking in transparency, and not meeting international standards of justice. 
The arrests have been called hostage diplomacy in retaliation for the arrest of Meng, the chief financial officer of the tech giant Huawei just days earlier. Meng, who is also the daughter of Huawei's founder, was accused of breaching U.S. sanctions against Iran during business dealings with the arrested uh, and was arrested in Canada on behalf of U.S. authorities. China denies the arrest of Spaver and Covering and the increased sentences of their fellow Canadian Robert Schellenberg were in retaliation, but also repeatedly links their freedom to Meg's case. What? <laughs> the Global Times article also segged from Spaver's claims to discussions of Meg's case, saying China's ambassador to Canada uh, had spoken to her over the phone to express his sympathy and denounce the misdeeds of the Canadian government. Richardson said that the inclusion was telling and signaling the quid pro quo demands inherent in the case. It shows it's about the politics, not about the law. Peter Dallin, the director of the NGO Safeguard Defenders, said it was notable that in two years, the security services had apparently only built a vague case against Baver with allegations which could be used against most foreigners that have stayed in China for any long period. Dolan said the Global Times article also revealed Chinese authorities were more focused on Kovrig than Spaver. The fact that the article directly mentions Kovrig and his supposedly senior position in the intelligence work is, of course, intending to signal that unless things change, Kovrig can expect a heavier sentence in Spaver. As such, the article is mostly a political statement aimed at the Canadian government. It is also pretty clear act of desperation from the CCP, which is running out of tools with which to pressure Canada. Good times. But, but to be fair, Canada does have an emergency kind of fail-safe. Uh, one of the, I think, the foreign affairs minister or the minister uh, who oversees these kinds of... Um, I guess disputes is able to overrule even the court ruling. So in the worst case scenario, if, if diplomatic discussions don't resolve themselves, uh, we, we can always do that if we were to change our mind and not give uh, Meng Wanzhou to the U.S. Personally, I think it would be better if there wasn't uh, such a trial. I think it would be better if all three countries got along and instead of using people as pawns and destroying lives, because that seems to be the biggest injustice here. I don't think it's the Iranian technology. I don't think it's the 5G. I think it's the fact that three people were used as pawns, and now these three countries, these giants, are leveraging them, and it's unfortunate. So. But is the is the Huawei being a pawn if they're breaking sanctions? They're just arresting her for doing, you know, if you sold something to Iran and there's a sanction on Iran, you'd be arrested too. That's not really an issue of pawns. Anyway, all of this is like a playbook from the 60s and 70s during the Cold War. The Soviets, every time the U.S. caught a spy, the Soviets would pick up any two Americans who happened to be in Russia and in the Soviet Union and then do a swap. You know, the Berlin across the bridge, do a nice little swap. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, it's a good analogy. The difference is we didn't trade with the USSR. I mean, barely. Whereas China is oh. one of the, and the U.S. are trading partners, one of the two biggest trading I think in the world. So. I think one of the issues here when it when it comes to Huawei dealing with the Iranians is that, you know, the the Trump regime was very much, you know, not in favor of, of bringing Iran into the into the normal economy. And so it was in some sense putting pressure uh, on the Canadians and on others to sort of hold, you know, hold people doing business with with Huawei. And so I do I do wonder you know, to what extent these things, you know, change somewhat now that Biden's president. 
Okay, so we have Muhammad in the audience with his hand up, and he says he's an IT security analyst. <clears throat> and uh, from the Middle East. So, Muhammad, do you have a, a point on this one? I just invited you up here. Hopefully you, you're able to join. If not, you might have to bounce out and back in. So while while we wait for him, we'll get into the next one here, which is... Hey, Tyler? Yes. I just had a, a quick comment on the uh, AI inventorship. As it turned out, uh, Australia has already made the decision, the course there, uh, different from the U.S., where it ruled, yes, AI can be an inventor. Yeah, we covered that and in the South article. Africa, uh, yeah, yeah. So the interesting thing is that in the U.S. decision, uh, if the AI cannot be an inventor, neither can the human behind the AI. So there's a likelihood that uh, the AI creating invention, so-called invention, could be dedicated to public to begin with. So that's something interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. And Tyler, the, that's, the, the that's correct. I, yeah, the, the the other thing I wanted to circle back to while we're on uh, international politics, um, and sorry I couldn't get off mute in time earlier, but when you mentioned that two aides to Kamala Harris uh, claimed to suffer from the Havana syndrome yes. uh, during their visit to Singapore, one would just not conspiracy theory, but just simple inference. One would think that they were not the primary target. The primary target would have been Kamala Harris herself. Did, does she or does she not uh, privately suffer from the Havana syndrome now? And is the, is, if she does, is the existence of her being the primary target not public information because of the geopolitical implications? Think of what the ramifications of that would be uh, if, in fact, she was targeted as VP of the U.S. with the Havana syndrome? No, 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 she was not the primary target. Oh, she was not? Yeah, I mean, most people don't really understand this, but with most of our politicians, they'll when they travel to foreign countries, they have people in their delegation that are actually like the principal decision makers of a lot of these policy items. And so fr from what I understand is that she was not the principal target. Oh well, that's well. That that's even more disturbing. That means they're more accurate in their targeting than I suspected. So the the next article is from Joe Williams, who's listening in the audience. And the head it's from the headline says, "Here's how Google Assistant's upcoming quick phrases will let let you skip." Hey Google, you know, so there can be more accidents. Back in April, we told you about the in-development guacamole feature that will let you use Assistant without hot words. The Google Assistant capability will launch as quick phrases, and we and we know more about how it works. Um, skip saying, hey, Google, for help with specific tasks. Code names are still in use on per preferences, and um, the ones you add will appear in your salsas section of the app where there's a menu and a carousel to select from the bottom in your screenshot. We, we see the available action and phrase through common variations will also work. They are categorized under recommended alarms, connect general to do set alarms, set alarm for 7am cancel the alarm. So basically you can uh, make special phrases like set an alarm for 7am and then you, if you set that 
command inside of the app, when it hears that command, then you don't have to say, hey, Google. So you can skip saying, hey, Google, with for help with specific tasks, but you have to program them into the phone. But once you program them, it will automatically work without the prompt. Like turn the lights on, what time is it? Send a message, pause the music, skip the song, cancel the timer, uh, create a reminder. Uh, for Those are the examples they give. Okay, well, I'm, I'm sure there will be no more accidents of Google listening. So the next one's from JT, that Apple's first AR and VR headset will need to be connected to an iPhone. We covered that. And then this one's from Gabby from The Guardian that Reddit reportedly hires bankers and lawyers as it aims for a $15 billion IPO. We covered that. Ken sends in this one from Cena that Amazon reportedly close to um, launching its own TV in the U.S. We covered that. Thank you, Ken. And then Ken also sends in this one from the Boston Globe. What's going on with McDonald's ice cream machines? The, the Wall Street Journal reported on Wednesday that the Federal Trade Commission, the FT motherfucking C, reached out to owners of franchise locations over the summer to find out what the fuck is going on with your ice cream machines. This is getting really fucking strange. It's very important. McDonald's, explain yourself. And actually, by the way, if you you were to read the entire article, by the way, there's a reference to another um, piece of journalism that I actually had read maybe two or three months ago that was from a different publication that gets into you know, um, why they do have problems with their ice cream machines that other fast food vendors don't have. And it, it's, uh, and it has to do with the underlying vendor and, and Taylor. Kind of the unique deal. Of, yeah. Taylor, you know, the whole thing with Taylor. Oh, yeah, oh you bet. Oh, you better. Oh, I, Hey, I know a good conspiracy theory when I hear one. Yeah, go ahead. That, 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 that is the best story. Actually, if you know it, you can tell it. <laughs> it's crazy shit. They're in cahoots. McDonald's HQ and Taylor. They, they were best buddies. Ray Kroc. And Mr. Taylor? Yeah, because because other, other fast food companies allow multiple vendors yep. to service the, the machines. Correct. They teach the employees how to service Correct. it. But with McDonald's, you have to call Taylor, Correct. and that's the problem. Part of it. It gets far weirder the, the further you no, go. No, no, no. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I want to hear it, Taylor. <laughs> I know parts of this, but I want to hear it from you because you're so good at this. So go ahead. No. Go ahead. No, we're going to make a whole other room with that title. What's really going on with McDonald's ice cream machines? It's a funny story. By the way, this is an indication of the Biden administration using FTC power to really go after, you know, big monopolies and big food, which is something we're seeing in data. And we're also increasingly seeing uh, seeing here in, in food, too. You think that came from the administration, or quite frankly, my best guess is somebody read the same article I did at the FTC, and they decided to open up their own case, that it was probably a staffer, and it wasn't not probably politically motivated. That would be my best guess, because that does actually happen a lot. Well, I mean, the FTC being political, I mean, you know, of course, like all these government bodies are political. The, 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 the point, though, remains that there is this sort of underlying problem with a lot of these sort of monopsony purchasers of, of goods, you know, in, in a lot of these industries. And I that, don't disagree with you on, on that, but I'm just yeah. saying that there is a permanent bureaucracy that very often operates, you know, independently of whoever is in office. There is, it truly does. Yes, but of course, the, the main government sets the priorities, right? And 
one could imagine a huge settlement with McDonald's over its milk machines would get a lot of attention and a lot of press. I mean, before spending time talking about it in this, you know, and McDonald's is sort of like a symbolic company, right? It's like Coca-Cola or Boeing or Amazon is indicative of our larger, you know, basically national champion status. So check this out. If you really want to get into this, you need to talk to a guy named Jeremy O'Sullivan who tried to build a, a third-party solution to fix the problem, and, and he, somebody needs to interview Jeremy. So Wired reported earlier this year that the machines cost uh, a McDonald's franchisee about $18,000, and they have no choice. It's in their contract. There's only one, not only one maker, but one model of machine for every McDonald's in the on the planet. So... Since information about the inner workings of the machine stay hidden from the restaurant owner, when the machine breaks, they must often turn to tailored distributors that charge thousands of dollars a year for pricey maintenance contracts, which are exclusive. You can't have anyone else even touch the machine with technicians on call to come and tap a secret passcode into the devices sitting on their counters. The frozen dessert machine giant is based in Illinois. So is McDonald's, by the way, Chicago, just outside of Chicago. And by the way, the owners of both companies were dear friends, and they're located right next to each other. And, <laughs> and it's a very uh, endless onion of conspiracy going on here. But it's a huge money maker to have a customer that's purposefully, intentionally blind and unable to make very fundamental changes to their own equipment. Jeremy O'Sullivan, who built a gadget that to help owners try to fix the machine on their own, told Wired. And then, of course, McDonald's and Taylor said, no, Jeremy. And franchisees, you cannot use Jeremy's third-party solution. Well, why the fuck not? We have unhappy customers. The machines are down. It takes forever to get these people out here to fix them. Jeremy's machine fixes it in five minutes, and everyone gets ice cream. What's the problem? Hey, Tyler. Yeah. Two things. One is uh, Jeff Bezos became the first residential customer of installing uh, his own self-serve ice cream machine. And second, uh, the FTC chair, incoming chair, or she's already here, Lena? Um, really became famous when she decided to go after, um, to really create a theory of antitrust against Amazon. So put those, put those two things together. Super interesting, Ben, though, isn't it, that not a lot of the antitrust stuff against, uh, uh, against uh, Amazon seems to actually get, get anywhere, right? Just like all the antitrust stuff against Apple seems to not get anywhere. Just sort of interesting thing to note. I was gonna. I was. I was waiting for the uh, Twilight music, but didn't hear so McDonald okay. McDonald's has now said in a statement to the Boston Globe that the that McDonald's has no reason to believe we are the focus of an FTC investigation because these are not the droids you're looking for. The company said it has a team working on the ice cream issue, and it is deploying several solutions such as new training for employees and regular maintenance checkups on the machines. A representative from Taylor did not immediately respond to requests for comment, and the FTC declined to comment on the matter. Now, they could have an exemption, right? They could have an exemption if it comes to Thank safety you. concerns, right? Freemasons. Taylor and Croc are both Freemasons. Confirmed. Well, well, all the interesting people are Freemasons. That hardly <laughs> indicates anything, Tyler. 
So, uh, 3D printing breakthrough unlocks industrial renaissance for solid-state batteries. Uh, this one's from Chris. And hopefully solid-state batteries will happen, and hopefully we can 3D print them and save ourselves from global catastrophe. And we covered the Israeli vaccine issue. Amazon hit with $886 million fine for alleged data law breach. The tech giant rejects claims it has broken EU data protection laws, the GDPR. But um, they've been hit with an $886 million fine. And how China's linked to takeover of Italian drone plant. We covered that. Thank you, Dale Lamar. And then Evan sends in this fantastic uh, series of photos from CNET about futuristic bionic arm helps amputees feel the sensation of touch in their fingers and movement with a cable into their brain. So they can now feel through their robotic arm in their fingertips. And you can wait. Can you repeat that again, please? I just tweeted out photos from Evan of three individuals using robotic arms with cables from the fingertips of the arms attached to the brain so that they can sense their fingertips of these robotic arms. Yeah. That's brilliant, to be honest. Yep. Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and then Evan. I'm actually astounded. And one company thinks it's cracked the code for fake milk that acts just like real milk to make ice cream. Raspberry white truffle ice cream made from milk that's not milk. A new milk substitute from Perfect Day acts just like milk no cow needed. Nothing quite as good as a cone full of ice cream on a sweltering summer day. And now uh, this company thinks they've cracked the code on fake milk. But can we can we get Cheryl to eat it? That's the big question. Oh, oh that's a great question. We actually had a news in MedTech News the other day that there actually are a machine now that can produce breast milk for, for small kids, also artificially. That's right. We it had breast milk ice cream. Yes. Ew. <laughs> the next one is up from also from Evan about ABBA. ABBA is set to unveil comeback with holograms and new songs. And the next one also from Evan about food out of thin air. Innovations magazine, Finland's Solar Foods, is pioneering the production of what could turn out to be one of the world's most carbon-friendly something, uh, one of the world's most carbon-friendly proteins out of thin air, taking a single-cell membrane, my, or sorry, a single-celled microbe. The company grows the protein which it calls solene, like protein, but from the sun, solene, get it? By fermenting it, and instead of watering the and fertilizing it, as part of the process uses mere air and electricity, unlike conventional protein production, it takes just a fraction of the water from the air to produce one kilogram of solene. By using fermentation to grow the protein, the bioprocess of solene, may not be traditional, but it's natural. And the best part, it won't run out, Solar Food said. The race for protein is eating up continent-sized chunks of rainforest at a rate that will finish them off by the middle of the century. Ditching protein obviously isn't a solution. It is a critical ingredient for the development of health in the human body, and it's used to produce a, a rising number of plant-based 
meat and dairy alternatives filling supermarket shelves worldwide. What is needed is a move away from the resource intensive pursuit of proteins responsible for tearing down natural forest de- desertification and soil erosion, something solar foods innovation could help by in doing by bolstering agriculture efficiency and protecting rather than depleting natural resources. Here's the quote. If today's level of production efficiency were to remain constant through 2050, then feeding the planet would entail clearing most of the world's remaining forests, wiping out thousands more species and releasing enough GHG emissions to exceed the 1.5 Celsius to 2 Celsius warning targets enshrined by the Paris Agreement. Even if emissions fall from other human activities were entirely eliminated, the World Resources Institute revealed in 2019. Plant-based alternatives to meat and dairy products regularly championed for their health and environmental benefits are marketed rightly in many instances as being a big solution to reduction of emissions caused by animal animal agriculture. But these products are made using protein, which are not all made equally and need land. Soya, which provides high protein levels and calories per hectare, is used as the base for many meat alternatives, but it also results in deforestation, especially in Brazil. And although swapping beef for soya would actually reduce demand for soya beans, as it's a byproduct are used to feed cattle, demand for animal-based foods is heating, heading upwards and is projected to rise by around 70% in the next 30 years. Solar Foods, which has grown out of research carried out by the VTT Technical Research Center in Finland and the LUT University of Finland, was back to the tune of 10 million euros by the Finnish Climate Fund earlier this year. The money will be used to begin commercial scale production of soiline and brings the total of financing. Who cares? Solar Foods, just one example of promising innovation. One month today. They don't really exactly say how they do it. But boy, could that be interesting. Kind of like uh hey Tyler, I'm just gonna say they need a marketing better marketing people. Every time I hear those soiline, it's like that yeah. movie Soylent Green, yeah. and it just makes me cringe. Yes. Uh Finns are notoriously really bad at marketing, and they know that. And uh that's part of the reason I'm there. <laughs> so, uh yeah, you're right. They struggle with that and they know it. But uh really, really big on innovation. So the next one is from, from from Evan via Fast Company, the headline reads, These drones could speed up search and rescue after disasters like Hurricane Ida. Finding people buried under debris is an extremely dangerous job for the first responders. Researchers are building autonomous drones that could help. Well, that's nice. And David Craze sends in this one from USA Today. The General Motors to temporarily halt production of nearly all U.S. plants due to pandemic-related chip shortages overseas. And then Engent sends in this one from the South China Morning Post that China is set to set up China to set up country's third stock exchange in Beijing. Chinese president tells International Services event that boosting the sector can help the post-COVID global recovery. Ken sends in this one about Apple releasing iOS 15 beta 8 to developers as refinement continues. And that's, we don't normally get up to beta 8. Normally we stop at 6, maybe 7. But uh, iOS 15 needs an 8th beta. But that hopefully is the last one. And then we'll get to the gold master. And then we get the actual official release probably in a week. And then Ken sends in this one from Digital Trends. New satellite mission aims to explore Mars, but much cheaper. 
And a new satellite mission aims to find out if we can uh, do do this in a much cheaper way. One undeniable fact about space exploration is that it's not cheap. But is there a way to explore Mars for cheaper? A new satellite project will try to find out. And then the next one's from Ken about YouTube music services hit 50 million subscribers in race to catch Spotify, which has 200-ish million subscribers, if I recall correctly. Google-owned platform becomes a serious competitor while trying to repair relations with big music labels. Sequoia backs a podcasting-focused clubhouse competitor from David Sachs. Yammer founder David Sachs has raised $12 million for Colin, a live audio platform. From his old buddy, Roloff Botha, who he hired at PayPal. And now uh, David, who I'm kind of friends with. He he follows me here on Clubhouse and on Twitter. And he, he's a wicked smart dude. Brilliant investor. Crazy good operator. Sold Yammer to Microsoft for over a billion. And now he's doing a Clubhouse-ish like podcasting app. And his uh, friend... Uh, from PayPal, Roloff Botha, who's truly brilliant and on the boards of lots of amazing companies like Square, um, and and was uh, yeah, I, I Roloff is perhaps one of the best investors anyone could ever have, and uh, he's backing David in his uh, company here called Call In. We'll tweeting that one out, and thank you to Cheryl for that one, and then Diwa. Sends in this one from the Philippines about a Brazilian Viper Venom may become a tool in the fight against coronavirus. The peptide from the snake venom can be synthesized in a laboratory, making the capture or the raising of the snakes unnecessary. But the Brazilian researchers have found that the molecule in the venom of a type of snake inhibited coronavirus reproduction in monkey cells. So let's all head over to the vaccine hesitancy rooms here in Clubhouse and let them know that the Brazilian Viper Venom may be what they're looking for. <laughs> no more ivermectin, Wait, folks. Is, is that a play on words for snake oil? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> this is actual... Sn- sn- don't, don't get the snake oil. You need the real deal snake poison, folks. I, uh, Ellen? If you could add this to our script about um, me having killed myself a week previously, um, maybe the snake could bring me back. <laughs> Sounds like more combat. Yeah. You, if you all want a good time, just follow me and Ellen into the vaccine hesitancy rooms uh, where I explain that I took the vaccine a week ago and have died, but my soul was not able to transfer over to the afterlife because of the heavy metals in the vaccine and somehow we will weave in the brazilian viper venom into the mix here so uh the next one is from uh aaron who sends in this one from apple tyler tyler you're missing the opportunity it's not the heavy metals it's the microchip that 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 kept your soul on earth it's all about the 5g i was about to say something about there was (laughs) too much 5g antenna activity in the in above my house which prevented my spirit from rising to meet with my maker so aaron sends in this one from apple insider that apple's first ar vr headset will need to be connected to an iphone because it has uh you know a, a processor and a battery so why 
squeeze all that into a headset and raise the price by a thousand dollars when you already have that shit in your fucking pocket you know what i'm saying the apple engineers top notch you know what i mean real smart real smart chaps over there at apple so the next one's from evan uh that here's the robo taxi that will be available on the lyft app in 2023 fully autonomous robo taxis from lyft in 2023 in fact they're already piloting them um in certain cities and chris sends in this important uh, public service announcement that security researchers have developed a lightning cable with a hidden chip to steal passwords a normal looking lightning cable that can be used to steal data like passwords and send it to a hacker has been developed so be careful whose cables you're using Sorry, I'm in a conference call. I can probably give some insight in another show. Okay. And then Ken uh, wants to know about what's up with the ice cream machines. Dr. Fran sends in about the Taiwan. And we will pause there and meet again tomorrow for a very special Saturday edition. This same time zone tomorrow and probably a fintech newsroom in um in the other time zone. Click on the title of the room, join the club, and see all of the upcoming events. And, and a, a very warm, sincere thank you to everybody for yet another headline-filled, fun tech news around the world. Have a fantastic weekend, and we will see you next time.